Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Ladies and gentlemen of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast Listenership Nation. Uh, I think this is episode 179. I'm pretty sure it is. I, I kind of, it's hard to keep count, but you, you asked and we are delivering right now. People are like, we want to hear about swamps. We want to hear about traditional archery. So we got a fella who checks both of those boxes, Mr. Jonathan Moreland. Jonathan, how are you doing? What's going on, man? Not much. Yeah. Hey, just waiting for deer season. Just waiting for deer season. We're excited to have you on, dude. Sitting yeah. here with the ginger oh, bone. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, dude, uh, Jonathan, we're excited to talk to you on the aspect on uh, really your experience hunting public land uh, in Arkansas and really coming from a background of, you know, hunting these big river bottoms, these delta areas, uh, but also doing it in a different style than most people would think 
when it comes to traditional archery. Uh, most guys I know that hunt those areas are, you know, of course, doing it with compounds or even getting out there with a rifle, and you're very different from that, which is going to be very interesting. Plus, you have some really interesting perspectives on uh, really what helps you be successful and what you've learned over, you know, ever how many years you've been hunting public land, which kind of gets into what I'd like to ask you first is, you know, what's your background when it comes to kind of hunting public land, and how did you kind of get into traditional archery? Well, I, you know, I grew up in southern Arkansas. Um, I guess it all goes back to when I was a child. I was I was fortunate enough that, uh, you know, my dad, my dad carried me and my brother every weekend since we were probably seven, eight years old uh, hunting. So it was instilled in me at a very early age. Um, as far as uh, when I got into bow hunting, I can remember when I was a kid looking in a in a Cabela's magazine at all the bows man you remember the, the old cabela's magazine the bows would be in the the archery catalog would come out and they would be the first thing you open up it'd be all the brand new psc bows <clears throat> i can remember telling him man I, I want a bow and he's like well get you one so that summer me and my brother mowed yards and uh i'll never forget we uh we saved up enough money we went up to a archery shop there in little rock and uh we both bought the same bow both bought a an MT sport, an old Hoyt MT sport. Started practicing up that that season. I killed a doe uh, with that bow that October, and when I killed that deer at 14 years old, man, I was I was hooked. And uh, I think I killed one deer, one buck with a rifle when I was 17, 18 years old. And ever since then, it was it was bow hunting ever since. As far as the traditional, say I graduated college in '09 all the way up through college hunted every every chance i got bow hunted 2010 i'd killed my two bucks i tagged out that year buck wise uh we're allowed two bucks four does in arkansas killed my two bucks uh that year and uh i remember coming home for christmas and uh my mother actually asked me to get something out of out of the closet and i walked in there and my, my old man's recurve was hanging up there at the top shelf of the closet and I thought, you know, I'm gonna try to kill me a doe with his bow, and uh, went out practice. Actually, I, I took that bow to the to a uh, archery shop there in, in Whitehall, and the guy I brought it in. The guy kind of looked at me, and I was like, "Man, I I need to know. I need to, I need some arrows for this bow." And uh, he had no clue what to give me. I had no clue what I needed, and I'll never forget him telling me. He's like, "You know, I think I I heard of, you're you're supposed to shoot full length arrows out of a recurve." And I was like, all right, man, hook me up. And uh, he gave me a half a dozen full-length uh, 55, 75 gold tips. And I, I got those arrows and some 125-grain uh, stinger broadheads and went back next weekend, went to camp, and uh, practiced up. And a week later, I hunted. I was able to hunt, and I, I killed a doe with that recurve. And from that, from that one doe, uh, ever since then, I, I've been ate up with traditional archery. Just that's that's my passion now. So that's that's what I that's what I tend to do. What I I mean, that's what I that's the way I hunt now. So it's uh, definitely made me a better hunter over the years, just because I have to get in close proximity to 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 the deer now. So as far as public land, uh, you know, I've, I've hunted the same public land, some of the areas around here in Arkansas since, uh, since I was a kid, killed my first squirrel 
uh, out here at Trust and Holder, not not 15 minutes from where I live, and I still hunt hunt those areas today. So, the, you know, that's kind of where it all started. And, uh, you know, I, I live to hunt, and that's, that's, uh, that's what I look forward to every year. Yeah, which is really awesome. I mean, I think that perspective of, you know, going out and having some success with the traditional archery equipment and applying that on public lane is something that is something that really gets me excited because it's one thing I've been wanting to try to do, uh, you know, in the past couple of years and kind of get more into it. I know our buddy Michael Pike is wanting to do the same thing this year along with some other friends of ours. Um, but really, you know, one reason I wanted to get you on the show is, you know, you're a pretty freaking successful public lane bow hunter uh, kind of in that Delta area of Arkansas, you know, hunting a bunch of different public land and some stuff that's, in my opinion, fairly challenging, especially coming from someone that's hunting hill country where we got a lot of logging going on. And, um, you know, a lot of people think this area is fairly difficult to hunt. But when I look at some of those wide open expanses of timber, you know, and on some of those river bombs, I feel like that is very tough hunting. And we've interviewed other guys in the area as well that's uh, had success, uh, one being Richard Fott, um, who's had quite a bit of success in those same areas. But, you know, one thing I'd like to kind of start with uh, when it comes to your perspective on, on bow hunting out there, let me ask, just kind of get started. What is the most challenging thing when it comes to hunting these areas, you know, the, that river delta, whether it's Mississippi River Delta or one of these other rivers in Arkansas, uh, when it comes to being a traditional archer? Depending on where you're hunting, um, you know, Arkansas is pretty diverse. You can be hunting wide open timber or you can be hunting areas so thick you can't hardly walk through. You know, we hunt, and when I say we, I, I say me and my brother, we, we hunt a lot together. My brother Josh is actually, he, he's a compound hunter, but we, we still hunt scout together. <clears throat> we hunt the White River Refuge a lot. And for anybody that knows the, from Arkansas that knows the White River Refuge, most of it is wide open timber. You know, there's areas where tornadoes have gone through, blown that, blowdowns, you know, that they get really thick. But for the most part, it's wide open timber and everything looks the exact same. Um, it's very hard. To try to to try to get that deer within what I want, twelve to fifteen yards. So basically, from from the start of the season, as far as when we're going to scout, basically I, I do not like we talked about earlier. I don't scout much during the summer. Uh, honestly, I, I think it's kind of here in Arkansas. It's it's pretty irrelevant uh, depending on where you're at because most of the of the deer are going to be focused more towards the crops. So, you know, during the summertime, they're going to be in the bean fields, they're going to be in the cornfields. And then as, you know, as uh, the farmers harvest their crops, they'll start slipping back into the timber. So from an early season standpoint, what we do, season comes in in Arkansas around the 26th of September. You know, we're, we're trying to get, trying to walk as much timber before then as we can. I, what, uh, typically, first part of the season, what you want to do is, I mean, basically you're, you're scouting, you're hunting feed trees. My favorite, my favorite tree to hunt is actually a honey locust. Uh, we've had a lot of success over honey locusts. Uh, matter of fact, the largest deer that I've killed on public ground was over a honey locust tree. They start dropping mid-October. Um, sometimes earlier, it just depends on the tree, depends on the weather. But the cool thing about the honey locust is, you know, versus the persimmon, which we hunt, you know, obviously you're going to want to try to find a persimmon tree dropping early too. But the, to me, the cool thing about the honey locust is, is if you find a honey locust that's, that's beat out with a lot of sign around, uh, that's deer. Um, 
no doubt. No, there's not a, you know, coons don't really like honey locusts, whereas a persimmon in Arkansas, everything likes a persimmon. Uh, bear, coon, I've killed coyotes over persimmon trees. So, you know, when, I, when I'm scouting, uh, you know, I'm finding, I'm trying to find trees that are, you know, obviously have a lot of sign around. I mean, anybody can tell. But no, down here, that's, I mean, that if I can find that, that honey locust that's dropping and, and typically I, you know, I've got about 15 that are marching my phone and every year I go back to check them. You know, they, some, some years they hit, some years they don't. But if you can find that one that's on, you know, the edge of a thicket, we're close to where some deer have some cover. I mean, that that's money. Whereas I've run into, you know, I, I hunt persimmons too. I've had good success over persimmons, but if you get a bear in there, I, we've got a lot of bear where we hunt. If you get a bear on them persimmons, um, you know, if he gets comfortable there, a lot of times he'll, he'll come in every day and, you know, keep, keep the deer out, push the deer out. So, you know, which I also, we run a lot of trail cameras too. So we try to find, find the trees that, you know, which the, you know, the deer are hitting. So Jonathan, when it comes to early season food sources and what you're looking for, especially when you're talking, you know, you don't do a whole bunch of summer scouting. You're trying to just focus on those feed trees come season. What are some of the big feed trees that you're trying to focus on when season does come in? So here in Arkansas, basically, basically what you've got early season is you've got you've got the persimmon, you've got the honey locust, and you've got pin oaks. Uh, typically, those are going to be the main food sources that are going to drop early, early season. Uh, early season Arkansas, meaning October. Um, out of those trees. Uh, I've had success over persimmons. I've had success over honey locusts and pin oak. But for me, the the one that I'm picking out out of those three is the honey locust. Well, the honey locust, when does it start dropping? Because I've found some, I mean, sparsely through Alabama, but I, I do know where some are. And I'm wondering if that's something, like, is that something you're taking advantage of in, like, September? Or is that something you're taking advantage of in, like, mid-October? It, it's, it's more like mid-October now. It just depends on the tree. You can find some that are going to drop that early, but mm-hmm. it's typically it's typically into the end of mid-October when that when that tree's really dropping. When, when does it kind of dry up? When do they quit eating on it? You know, I've I've run trail cams on on honey locusts to where they're they're hitting them all the way into mid-November. And 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 another thing I can tell you that we've noticed is after you get a rain say you get a rain mid-October during the day, um, when you walk by that tree, when you walk by a hot honey locust, you can smell the beans. Um, it's got a real distinct, almost sour smell that, that, that you won't forget when you walk by it. And if you can smell that, if, if, if you can smell that smell when you walk by that tree, you can bet the, the deer are going to be there. And, it, and it's weird how we, Matter of fact, my brother Josh killed a killed a 150 inch deer on a honey locust right after rain. And it, you know, when he walked in that evening, he he made the the comment to me that you know, you know, I think there's something to this after after these after a rain, uh, you know, these beans swell and and put off that that smell. And, and it was kind of weird because two years later, is when I killed that big deer I killed, and and that day it uh it rained about two o'clock that day uh i I shot that deer at 
around five o'clock that evening. That was November the fifth when I killed him. You one thing you mentioned a little bit earlier is these, like you're looking for feed trees, be it a honey locust, persimmon, pin oak, you know, whatever it may be, but you're looking for one close to thick cover. So I got to ask, what is thick cover to you in the Arkansas River bottom? Thick cover to me in the Arkansas River bottom is you can't hardly see five to ten yards. Um, I mean, it's thick. Uh, when when I'm setting up, um, depending on where I'm hunting, which I, you know, I'm I'm a traditional hunter, so I'm I, I want to be I I don't want to be high in the tree. I want to be twelve to fifteen feet. And when you're in when you're in thick thick cover, it, the the higher you are in the tree, you can't you know it's hard to see. So when it, when it comes to thick cover, when you're on the ground, is it when you're on the ground you're seeing five to ten feet or five to ten yards, or is that when you're up in the tree? Yeah, that no. When you're on the ground, you're seeing five to ten yards. Yeah. So that's like that's like perfect. I mean, that's kind of same thing over here. Even though you know we might be you know four hundred fifty four hundred fifty miles apart or so. Uh, from each other, you know, it's definitely something that, um, you know, is very similar. You know, the deer want to stick to that thick cover. And that kind of goes into, you know, you're talking some other feeds, uh, food sources. You're talking, you know, persimmons, you know, you've had success over pinnocks. You've had success over, uh, but a lot of times in those areas, uh, when you're hunting that, it might not all just be deer signs. So you could have, you know, other animals in there making some. Well, right. Sign. I mean, now, you know, like obviously your persimmons is a go-to spot uh, early in the year, but you know, I've, you know, I've killed coyotes over a persimmon tree. Uh, you know, I've killed a lot of deer over a persimmon tree, but you know, if, if I, if, when I'm scouting, when I'm making my loop and, and I like to, I like to make big loops wherever I'm scouting. I like to, I'm not the guy that to throw my climber on my back, go find, you know, find fresh sign and, and hang a hunt. I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to have a plan. I kind of want to know where everything is uh, before I get out there. So let's jump into that so. then. When it comes to your scouting, you know, during season or right before season comes in, what are you looking for when it comes to that perfect feed tree? Or what are you looking for when it comes to feed trees early on that's close to that thick cover? So the perfect feed tree you can take a man that's never hunted hardly ever hunted and when you walk up on that perfect feed tree you're going to know that the deer hitting this tree it's going to be you know if it's a persimmon tree it's going to be early in the year it's going to be basically all the vegetation is going to be flat under it there's going to be deer scattered around not far if, if you're hunting a feed tree and there's not deer around then it's not a hot tree one tactic i can tell you that I, that I, i've killed a lot of deer doing this is if, if you can find that uh, uh, a hot persimmon tree that you're seeing deer sign around <clears throat> whether you're uh you know you you want to climb or hang a lock on and you get you get up in the tree if you'll take you know i always make sure i pick up a few persimmons when i get up in the tree um when you're up and if you see see a deer out there 30 40 yards you can take that persimmon and, and drop it from the tree and when you know that deer is thinking you know th that a persimmon just fell and he he will come right to you doe doe or buck really? providing the wind's right dang that's a, that's a really cool little that tactic is a woodsmanship tactic right there man oh <laughs> uh, we we've killed a lot of deer and I've, I've got a lot of videos of this too yeah you uh i always if i'm hunting for symmetry 
I always, you know, if, if I could find some on the ground before I climb up, I always put four or five in my pocket. And, you know, normally when you, when you do find a hot symmetry, normally there's more than one around. So you, you may have one or two around you, but if that deer's feeding 50, 60 yards from you, you take that persimmon, you drop it when it hits the ground, he'll look up, he'll go back to what he was doing, but he remembers you dropping that persimmon and, he will come right right to you providing the wind's right and, you're, and you don't get busted are, are you dropping that persimmon just like tossing it out of your pocket or are you like no, throwing no, it to a not, strategic spot no you're not throwing it you're not tossing it you're just dropping it as if it were to to fall from the tree like that okay interesting that is that is really slick again that's that's stuff that I would not have even thought about, which is really, really kind of cool. I want to say, I think Adrian Farley talked about doing that with uh, White Oaks. It's a guy we've had on from Alabama. I want to say he's done that as well with White Oaks under a hot White Oak tree. But instead of getting acorns, he just put some, like, rocks in his pocket and, like, lock yep. and, like, drop them like that. But that, that's really – You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've actually I've, – I've tried it with acorns, and I, I've had – you know, you it, it works decent with acorns, but not like it, not like it works with the persimmons because – Normally, when a deer comes into acorn tree, there's 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 Thousands tons more. That's right. There's tons more acorns on the on the ground than there are versus a persimmon. When he hears that, when you hear that, when that deer hears that thud hit the ground, he knows what that is. And if he's got one in his mouth right then, he'll finish that one. But he knows where he heard that one, and he will come right over there. And I've shot normally does. I've shot a lot of does doing that. But you know, it, whichever deer you've got in range. It, it provided the wind's right, he doesn't win you, he will come right to your spot. And that's a really cool thing. And I can see that being really successful with the uh, – um, um, God, my mind's going blank now. With the persimmons, geez, I can't even think now. But with the persimmons, <laughs> you know, being much heavier and larger than acorn, it drops, it's probably a much more – uh, distinct sound than an acorn drop. Nice fat bud. Yeah, exactly. So I could see that really getting some attention. Now, a question I got to you, you know, you're talking about all these other feed trees that these deer are coming to, you know, especially talking pin oaks and stuff. Is there any, especially we're talking mature bucks here, you know, I definitely want to talk some mature deer. Is there anything that these mature deer do when they're coming to those food sources? Are they trying to come in with the wind in their face, especially if you have a breeze? You know, are they trying to circle down wind of that food source before they come in? What are they normally doing from what you've seen and, and kind of seen over the years? I mean, typically your your older deer are always going to come into their food source downwind. You know, whether that be a feed tree, whether you're, you know, whether you're hunting a funnel. I mean, any anywhere that deer is going, if he's an older deer, He's going to use the wind to his favor. Now, you know, my stance on hunting the wind, I, I'm a, I'm the type of guy, I'm going to hunt the wind. I I do not believe in, in any of most of the scent-killing products out there on the market. I'm not saying they don't work. I just don't – I don't use them. You know, my thinking behind the, the whole wind deal is, um, you know, I've, I've heard guys talk about how, you know, they can spray down with – so-and-so scent killer and make that deer think that he's you know 300 yards away from him well if it's a mature buck i don't care if he smells 100 percent of you or one percent of you he's gonna turn around and go the other way and i and i've watched deer do this i've watched deer from a distance older deer to where you almost think they're walking into a brick wall he'll stop and then he will just turn around and he will go right back where he came from if he wins you 
Well, that goes. So that let me let me ask you this. So that goes into a question when it comes to setting up on food sources. How do you set up on these feed trees? Uh, you know, especially if you think there's a mature buck in the ear that you're trying to kill, whether your camera's telling you that or you've seen them or the signs there. How do you set up on that feed tree successfully uh, to be able to get him to not wind you? You know, if I'm setting up on a feed tree, I I, I want to set up. I do. Like I said, I do I do huge huge circles through the woods to scout all my where all my feed trees are. I, I mark every feed tree, and I'm going to hunt that tree that that's closest to thick cover, and where where I think the deer is bedding. I, I'm not the type of guy that's going to bust off everywhere through the bedding area trying to find where that deer is bedding. I'm going to take I'm going to use common sense, try to figure out where I think that deer is bedding, and then I'm going to use whatever wind i need that's that's the wind i'm going to go in there and hunt on the first hunt that may not be the right wind you know um if, if you can get a general idea where, where you think the deer are bedding you know if, 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 if you've got a thicket to the northeast of your perimetry that you're trying to hunt well then you want a northeast wind to go hunt that stand i hear guys talking about where the deer bedding but in these open woods in arkansas uh white river refuge uh biomedo where everything looks the same I've, I've seen deer bed in the wide open timber uh they'll lay up on a root wad they'll lay behind a root you know behind a blow down tree they will be in the wide open timber uh so it's it's, it's really hard to try to pinpoint where a deer is bedding in in, in the river bottoms yeah that's something i was actually going to ask you about uh you know, when it comes to scouting and you're going out there and you're marking feed trees, I was wondering, are you focusing, like when you're going out, what do you have in mind? Like, I just want to find every dang white oak and persimmon and honey locust out here. Or or are you going and finding those thickets and then working your way out from those thickets? So early season, the feed trees are key. But, you know, as you progress into the rut, which in Arkansas, you're talking about the third week of, of November into the first week of December. But now this is when your pressure moves in. Uh, you can get away early season with, with not too much pressure, but this, this is where I kind of transition by hunting feed trees on the edge of thickets into hunting people. Uh, and that's when I want to start hunting the funnels. So what does that look like? You know, you you just you said hunting people. So can you can you dive into that a little bit? As uh, I'm assuming you're meaning like you know talking about finding the hunting pressure and kind of making your play off of that. Can you dive into that? Right. So so when I'm scouting, I'm also early season. I'm also trying to find trying to find funnels that that I want to hunt later in the year, depending on where most of the hunting pressure is at. So there's a small tract where we hunt and when the rut comes in man there'll be 30 trucks parked in one area that area to the to the south of that of that pavement of the of the main drive there if i know they're there there's a there's a funnel that comes around the top end of the lake to the north side so i will be i will have my lock on in in that funnel spot catching all the guys coming into the south which are going to which are which were, are going to push the deer north to me. So you're basically, I mean, you're you're literally setting up, expecting people to bump deer, and you're setting up on like escape routes. Abs- yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, I'm getting in there a couple hours before daylight, hoping that I, that the people where I've been seeing their trucks for the last couple of days are going in to one spot and to push the deer, push the deer to me. Okay. Now, what does it, so you're, you're setting up on escape routes, but in order to, con, you know, be on the deer, you're trying to put yourself in a funnel on the escape route. So what is a funnel to you in these river bottom swamp environments? In the river bottom, uh, the funnel is anywhere where you've got a distinct edge. So, you know, anywhere from a from a blowdown thicket to a cutover to where you've got a slough that maybe runs up to the cutover, a slough that runs up to a river. Uh, we hunt, you know, we hunt the White River a lot. There's lots of lakes that come off to 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 that that hit right there to where the river is. Well, it's good. It's kind of funnels the deer. It's it's all about diversity in the river bottom. You know, the place that you find the most diversity, that's where the deer are going to be at. Uh, and that's what it sounds like. You know, when you're talking, you know, a large expanse of, you know, same age, you know, hardwoods, and it's kind of fairly open. You know, once you find that thick stuff or where, you know, either a tornado came through or ice storm, whatever, that really puts some trees on the ground and opens that up. That's a, that's a really hard edge inside that cover that, you know, it sounds like the deer are really using that as a hard funnel. Um, yeah. Which, which is, which is awesome. And you know, one thing I had a question on when it comes to, um, you know, kind of your early season scouting, especially like right before maybe some of this hunting pressure gets real crazy. Cause is the hunting pressure pretty crazy during the bow season out there? Or is it more so like when gun season starts to come in? Well, typically the, the areas I hunt are bow hunting only. Okay. So it, it, it's pretty crazy all through the year. Now, now some of the areas have, they have like a three day rifle hunt and deer get hammered during that three days. Um, and they'll also have like a, a couple day muzzleloader hunt, but typically it's, it's all archery hunting from October through, through February, uh, you know, take out that few days of, of, of uh, muzzleloader and rifle. Wow. That, yeah, that's that's impressive. And, it, I mean, especially getting that much pressure, there's archery pressure in there is pretty impressive. And, you know, that's definitely got to change probably as the season goes on, especially as, you know, some of that, uh, you know, that cover gets a little bit more open when the leaves fall off, which kind of goes into a question I wanted to ask in regards to kind of like some of those early season tactics. If you're trying to find and kill a, a big deer early on in the season, what sign is telling you in these areas, especially around these feed trees, uh, and in some of these funnels that there is a big deer in the area. I mean, are you looking for big scrapes? I mean, are you looking for rubs? Are you just looking no, for trail I, cameras or what? No, I, I mean, if, if you're going to know, you know, if you're going to know that there's a big deer in the area, you're you're going to have to run. It, unless you've seen them with your own eyes, you're going to have to run trail cameras. A rub or scrape is not going to let you know 100% that, that a big deer is in the area. Um, I run a lot of trail cameras and I've got, trail camera evidence that you know um i've got rub set a, set a camera up on video mode i've got deer from anywhere from a from a year and a half year old four point to a, a five and a half year old ten point rubbing on the same rub mm-hmm. uh numerous deer coming into coming into the same scrape hitting the scrape um you know you're basically going to have to either lay your eyes on a big deer or have him on trail camera to know that there's a that there's a big deer in the area 
So let's talk about that. What is your strategy when it comes to running trail cameras out there? Uh, especially, you know, these areas that are, you know, it sounds extremely flat or, or fairly flat areas. You know, what are you looking for to put cameras over to, you know, hopefully find a big deer on camera? So early season, obviously you're going to, you're going to put trail cameras over your feed trees. And I, and I also will put lots of trail cameras over, over, over trails and in, in the funnel areas. Typically I run, you know, as you know, the more trail cameras you get, that can get pretty expensive. So, you know, typically I run 10 to 12 trail cameras on an area. If I can find one big deer and, and I don't, I don't, uh consider myself a trophy hunter at all but since our season is so long in arkansas basically from october to february i try to i try to chase a big deer to prolong my season so if i can get a good deer on camera that's when i'll uh i'll I'll try to focus on him and you know i'll i'll basically cover that area with, with with trail cameras Got you. Well, you know, so trail cameras is something that's really interesting. We're trying to dive more and more into that this summer uh, and, you know, just get a bunch of cameras out there on public land, try to find some bachelor groups, but really kind of keep you know, keep them out there throughout the whole year and trying to find and, and locate different deer to be able to chase. Um, so that's kind of interesting how you're trying to put them on feed trees, especially early on in the season. Um, how often are you checking trail cameras out there? I check my trail cameras every every couple of weeks probably. Okay. Are you consistently moving them, or is it something like you just leave them in an area, just you know, you know, based off of no, a feature? No, I will. Uh, you know, I I I'll bring my phone and I will bring the memory card reader with me. So if I've got a if I've got a trail camera, say on a on a honey locust or a dropping pin oak early in the season, if I'm not getting a lot of deer on that camera, I'll move it. Gotcha. Uh, you know, if, I, if I'm getting a lot of deer on the camera, I'll leave it. I, f- I feel like, especially on feed trees, that's got to change. I feel like that would change quite a bit depending on th- that food source. You know, how much they're consistently hitting a food source. I mean, on a good honey locust tree or, I mean, persimmons can't last very long, but maybe like a pin oak or something. How long are you seeing those deer kind of hit those on camera before you're trying to move them? Yeah, so for the for the honey locust and persimmon, you're going to play out early November. For the most for the most part in Arkansas. And then and then what you're gonna move into is where we hunt is the nut all acre. The nut alls a it's a it's a basically it, it is a red oak. They typically start dropping depending on the tree early November all the way to, to December. End of December. Some of them hold till end of December. So, you know, as far as trail cameras over feed trees, I'm moving them from from persimmons over to the acorns about mid November. All right. So, you know, you're talking about hunting, you know, we're hunting river bottoms here. That's the kind of topic for this whole show. You know, we talked a lot about early season, early season tactics. Let's talk a little bit, maybe coming, coming towards November, you know, early November, mid November. Uh, I know you and me have talked on the phone and, and y'all's rut is normally, uh, what would you, well, well, let me ask you, what, what is your rut normally, uh, would you say uh, on a given year kind of time frame? Our prime rut is no doubt the, day after thanksgiving to the first week of december okay that 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 fourth fifth of december from the from the day after thanksgiving to the fourth fifth of december that's a man in south arkansas that's when he wants to be in the woods all right so let's talk tactics then as as an archer and especially as a traditional archer and you're trying to get these deer close what are you trying to set up on what are you trying to find as that rut, maybe like, you know, mid-November as these bucks are really starting to kind of cruise and, you know, you're getting ready for that first hot day to come in, what are you looking for at that time to set up on? 
So that time of year, you can throw the, the scraped rubs, feed trees out the window. That time of year, that's when I'm really focusing on on those funnel spots. And when you go to the tree that time of year, I, I don't I don't bring rattling horns, but I always have my grunt call with me. Uh, I've had the same grunt call for 15 years. But you definitely, I, I do call a lot during the rut. And when when you're hunting wide open ground, what I've what what I've learned over the years, if I can find somewhere, preferably in a funnel spot, if I can find a, a blow down treetop or something, I want to set up over that treetop. I want that treetop within five to ten yards in front of me. That way, if I see a deer, if I see a buck cruising in front of me, I can grunt any, providing the wind's right. When he stops to look, he can't see past that treetop. So that always arouses the curiosity. And I can't tell you how many deer I've called in using that tactic, using that treetop to where it's, you know, it's, it's obstructing his vision to where he wants to know, you know, he thinks he hears a deer other side of the tree and he comes around to it. So let's jump into that a little bit more. So you're talking, you're hunting funnels during the rut. One more time, I know you kind of explained it earlier, but what are some of these funnels that you're trying to focus on during the rut? And maybe kind of give us an example of maybe one of these hunts in one of these funnels. So, uh, I can give you an example from, from, from last year. Uh, and actually it did not work out the exact way I wanted to because I missed the deer. But so last year, I, uh, I think it's actually like the 12th of December. And normally I'm, normally I'm never late to the tree. I may be late for work all the time, but I'm never late <laughs> to the deer stand. So, but, but this particular morning I was actually late. So where I was hunting is about an hour from the house. Uh, so I got up that morning. I was late. I drove in and I literally passed eight trucks on the way in. Now, granted, most of these were duck hunters. Uh, and I, I'd heard them previously in the week. I knew where they were duck hunting. So, and I, from scouting a month prior, I knew a couple of funnels where that, that pinched these deer down into, into one area when all these duck hunters were coming in try to hit that slough back there so i knew that day i knew that particular day i could probably get in the, in that one funnel which was no further than literally 300 to 350 yards from my truck that morning now granted i still got there before daylight i got in there climbed up and actually had two guys walk past me that morning uh right at the crack of daylight and, and these guys were bow hunters. They walked by me to the west, and as soon as shooting hours started that morning, the duck hunters fired up. I actually had my video camera with me that morning. I was actually I was actually filming a, a kind of a little interview, and you can hear the you can hear the duck hunters blasting in the background. And it wasn't 15 minutes later, uh, I had a doe come straight to me, right right where I thought she was going to come from from the south, and here he was right behind her problem was they come right straight to my tree you know looking back hindsight's 2020 i wish i'd have been 15 yards off to the side of the funnel toward the toward the side of the thicket there but these deer come straight to my tree and i tried to i tried to slip the air right between this deer's shoulder blades and i actually missed him just a little bit to the left uh it was a pretty sickening feeling but 
you know, that that's kind of one hunt last year that, that really worked out for me, other than missing the deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it worked out perfect. So give, let me give an example. Like, what do some of those funnels look like? I mean, I know we talked about between, like, waterways, like sloughs and lakes uh, with maybe, like, some, you know, a thick area, and they're kind of coming around the edge of it, you know, some blowdowns. But in a situation like that, you know, what did that funnel kind of look like? Are you hunting, like, blowdowns, or is that, like, a water source pinch point uh, that the deer kind of come around? Well, you know, as a funnel, there, there's all different cows. That particular funnel was where a tornado had had blown through years ago and there was a slough that leaded up to about 40 to 50 yards it come to a point right before it got to that to that blowdown and when i say blowdown this is a this is where a tornado went through and and growed up over the years you you literally hardly can walk through it so when this slough leads up to about 50 yards you've got about 50 uh, you've got about a 50 yard gap right there with these deer are going to funnel through and these duck hunters that particular morning were 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 to the south about three to four hundred yards so i knew if there was anything in the block in the block of timber to the south of me that the duck hunters were going to push them to the north and and that's exactly what happened that morning but but as far as funnels go i mean you've got you've got you know you've got a lot of sloughs you've got draws you've got any kind of edge that you know, runs parallel to, to, to river, any, any kind of lake, anything that that's going to pinch a deer down. I prefer the, a really, really, really tight spot because I, you know, I want that deer within 12 to 20 yards of me, but you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Very interesting. And that kind of brings up a point and there's a, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, especially about what you're doing during the rut that I really want to get into one of its calling. But before we get into that, when you're scouting these areas, do you do, do you put much, um, do you put much value in aerial scouting some of these places? I, I put very little value in as far as looking at topographic maps. I, now I say very little of that. I shouldn't say that I, you know, just as far, I use Onyx a lot. You can get on there. Onyx is cool. You can look and kind of get a get a out outline of what the area looks like. But you're not going to know, dude. You got to walk. You got to you got to get out of the truck, get out of the boat. You got to you got to put in the time and you've got to walk because no map is going to let you know what that area looks like. You've got to you've got to bust ass and walk. Very interesting. Well, I will say I will say this: there is something that just now came into market. We'll talk about it afterwards. But it's something that Andrew's doing right now that actually will show you a lot of those drainages that you cannot see on topo maps or aerial maps, which is really I, interesting. I, I'm curious to get your opinion. I'll, I'm going to hook you up uh, a little bit later, but let's let's move on. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. But there there will be something that will definitely help you out. I think. Um, but kind of going back towards this, uh, you know, aerial scouting really isn't something of value to you. So you're putting a lot of boots on the ground. You know, you're finding some of these rut funnels. Is there anything when it comes to deer sign in these funnels that makes you say, I want to hunt this more so than another spot? Um, or is it you're Whether pretty it much just, rubs or scrapes? Yeah. Is there anything like that do you take into consideration? You know, I, it, it depends on the time of year, but as, but as far as rubs and scrapes, I don't. I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the rubs and scrapes toward the end, toward the, toward the rut. Uh, you know, early in the year, you know, if, if you're hunting an area where, where you're finding lots of scrapes, well, obviously, you know, a deer is using it. Like I say, early in the year, I feel like you're going to have better success over, over hunting a, a feed tree because early in the year, that deer is focused on one thing. He's focused on feeding. Uh, when he goes into that transition to the rut, 
he he's got only one thing on his mind then and it's not it's not feed it's not you know honestly i've 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 never i've never really killed a deer over a scrape you know it's cool to go out there and see a lot of scrapes and you you know deer there but as far as hunting over scrapes i i don't i don't normally you know i I do not normally hunt over scrapes Uh, i'm wanting to find i'm wanting to find that area that that pinches the deer down that i know that they have to travel through that that's that's where i'm that's where i'm finding most of my success very interesting you know one thing i want to talk to you about is uh the type of hunting pressure that you experience out there um you've mentioned to me multiple times that you know you haven't really hunted um you know really any other states but you could you couldn't really imagine any place being as pressured as the public land that you hunt on uh in eastern arkansas uh, which I, I find that statement uh, valid because I have actually driven through there and actually seen the pressure between deer hunters and turkey or deer hunters and duck hunters, and it is insane. Um, just because it's a very highly sought after area, but for both species, uh, you know, both deer and, and, and ducks. But uh, something I've thought about is: is there any difference in your perspective on how you hunt when it comes to uh, duck hunters and duck hunting pressure versus bow hunters and guys going and trying to kill whitetails? So, you know, in Arkansas, obviously duck, duck hunting is popular there and the areas I hunt, duck hunters are allowed to also hunt those areas too. So with the duck hunters, you know, a lot of, a lot of bow hunters tend to think when the duck hunters move in that, Oh my God, all the duck hunters moving in, the deer are going to move out. And that is not the case. These deer know they're used to the duck hunters coming in. And, and the way I use it to my advantage on, it's kind of weird here in Arkansas. There, there are particular days that the duck hunters are allowed to hunt some of the areas. The days that I know the duck hunters are going to be there, that's the days that I want to be in those tight quartered funnel spots to where I know if, if a lot of duck hunters are going to be hunting one slough or one lake, I want to be, depending on the wind that day, if they're, you know, granted there's a funnel close to that area that's where i want to be that morning for sure that that's where i want to be that morning honey and, and, and that's exactly what happened to me last year when i was able to to get that deer to come right through that area where i wanted the duck hunters were 350 yards to the south of me and you know i knew if there was anything in that area they were going to push them to the north which would have been straight to me i've got a question when it comes to you hunting these funnels is there a certain angle of the wind that you like to hunt them on i mean or do you want to sit you know, in the middle of the funnel and having the wind come right up down the funnel? Do you want it coming across the funnel? How do you, what is your like perfect setup? Like, what do you think is great for the deer, but also good for you? Well, I can tell you from past experience, the perfect setup is to be on the edge of it. You you definitely don't want to be right down the pipe of it, you know, and, and it's all dependent on the wind. You, you know, I try to hunt the wind. I, I want to make sure if I know where, some, where a group of duck hunters are going to be, and I know they're going to push the deer to one area. I want to make sure that the wind's going to be right that morning to hunt that spot because it, it's defeating the purpose. If if you've got if you know where a hole where the where the duck hunter's going, you know, and the and the rain, and the wind is absolutely wrong for that spot, it, you know, it's not doing you any good. You definitely want to be to the edge of that funnel. I, I don't want to be right down the middle of it, and that that's exactly what cost me that deer last year. I was I was set up right in the middle of that of that funnel which was not 50 yards wide and it you know it he the deer come exactly where i wanted him to come but he come directly under me which is which is a tough shot yeah now 
let me ask you: the, How does calling incorporate into all this? Are you using calling in these funnels? Are you are you grunting at them, bleating, uh, rattling, anything like that? I, I do not grunt. I always have a grunt call on me, but I do not grunt in the blind. And what I mean by that is I, I never grunt. I'm never just out there grunting, hoping hoping a deer hears me. I'm not saying that doesn't work, but I I, always, I never grunt unless I see a deer. Unless I've, I've got my eyes on him, I know what he's doing. I know if his head's down, I know if he's walking, I know if he's feeding. Because making that grunt at the critical time is, is what's key to try to get that deer to come to you. What What is the critical time? The critical time to grunt at that deer is when he is not looking directly at you. If he's coasting through, if he's... Uh, if he's cruising, and and you know what I mean, if that deer's got his nose on the ground, he's running through there like a dog, you can hit that grunt, you're going to stop him, he's going to look, and as soon as he starts, as soon as he moves to where he's he does not have his attention toward you, that's when you hit that grunt again. When you hit that grunt that time, he knows then that, that something's over there and he's coming. Talking earlier when we were talking about it always helps if you have something five to ten yards under you to kind of obstruct his view to where he's all right he's looking he's like well i know i heard something there i'm gonna come around there and check it out i've got you know actually numerous videos of me calling deer in just like that you know they'll come right right to the tree hey jonathan how does uh weather fronts and like cold fronts uh play a factor in how you hunt out there in these big river bottoms you know i i really don't pay attention a lot to weather fronts my my philosophy on hunting if I have any free second, free hour, any free minute I have, I'm going to the woods. I don't I don't care if it's a cool front coming in, warm front, whatever. One thing I can promise you is you're not going to kill a deer on your couch. So, you know, granted the wind is right. If I have the right wind, I don't care what temperature it is. Um, if, if, the, if I feel like the wind's right for where I think the deer are coming from, I'm hunting. Now, let me ask you this. When it comes to, like, your style of hunting, you know, try and get out there whenever you can and however you can, is there anything you're doing that puts that odd in your favor for you to go in and capitalize, you know, every chance you get? I mean, try to capitalize every chance you get. I mean, you're putting the odds in your favor. That, you know, like I was saying earlier, hunting's all, it's all relative. If You know, if a man's got three months to hunt, his chances of success increase dramatically versus a guy that only has a couple of weekends. You know, I know a lot of guys that really overthink things and they try to say, well, you know, I, you know, the wind's not exactly perfect or the weather's just not right. I think I'll wait till tomorrow when it's not raining. Your chances go up if you're out there. That's an excellent point. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, hunting these big river bottoms, I think a lot of people think about, you know, boat access. You know, how can you use boats to, you know, your advantage in getting into spots and, and hunting more mobile. Do you implement boat axes at all in your kind of style of hunting and how you and your brother hunt out there? Yeah, we uh we use the boat quite a bit. It just depends on what deer we're after. We you know, I do a lot of I do a lot of scouting as soon as season comes in. If if I do find a big deer, I'm keying in on him no matter where he's at. For instance, last year the deer we keyed in on, he you know, we did we did not have to to access my boat. So we did a lot we did a lot of walking he was you know the deer was anywhere from a mile and a half to two miles from the nearest parking spot but with that being said with the boats you would think now this is talking strictly for arkansas and and some of the 
some of the specific wildlife management areas and, and refuge areas I hunt, you would think, you know, that using a boat would allow you to get to places that most people aren't going to be able to get. In certain situations, it's actually the exact opposite of that. You can pull down to some of the specific areas we hunt uh, in the White River Refuge to the boat ramp. You pull down there the first week of December, you've got 30 boats sitting down there left overnight where guys are coming in, hopping in their boat and going down river or up river. So, you know, the particular deer we were hunting last year, he, he was, we were driving the trucks in and stopping while all the guys that were boating up and down the river driving right past us and going to put their boat in to go four or five miles up river couple miles down south river so it's kind of just all depending on you know what we're getting on trail cam what i've seen throughout the year what i'm going to do i'm glad that y'all brought that up because for me in these kind of environments which i haven't hunted arkansas but i have hunted some alabama black belt kind of stuff which is somewhat similar i mean like kind of bottomland hardwoods flat open terrain like that uh and for me like the elephant in the room is definitely access so it's like where are these deer laying? Like how, like, you know, you go walking through the forest and you're, you're in these wide open hardwoods and it's like, I'm afraid they're going to see me. So how are you access how, when you're walking in specifically, how are you accessing without getting seen or, or heard or anything like that? Like, how are you getting in and out cleanly? Well, that, I mean, there's no, there's no foolproof way to get in and out cleanly. I think that's where guys, especially, uh, new hunters, listening to guys i I think that's where people get lost there's there's absolutely no way to get in get in and out cleanly now what i will do in the morning i definitely want to get in as early as i can when you're walking in you know i want to be i want to be set up in my tree an hour before daylight to let things calm down you know just to give just to give myself peace of mind you know but i i can't tell you how many times I've, i've i've walked in and I always try to walk with the wind in my favor. It always doesn't work like that. Here in Arkansas, where we hunt, you don't really get a consistent, steady wind all day long. It's it's going to swirl on you. So I don't take the scent thing. I don't take it to near extremes of what I've, what I've got some of my buddies do. I, I just don't do it. And, you know, I've always been, you know, successful every year. To try to get in without that deer knowing you're there, you just hope, you, you really just hope that that deer is not within couple hundred yards of where you're planning on hunting him at and you have no idea whether he's there or not yeah you know people really really overthink that and i think people really talk about honestly i i I really think people just they want to make themselves feel good about what they're doing as far as you know i'm doing this this and this 100 right I'm, i'm going in with the wind in my face i'm going in four hours before daylight but you really don't know where that deer's at, so you don't know whether he's seen you or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that make any sense to you? Yeah. So basically, you're rolling the dice no matter what when you're walking in early in the morning or, you know, obviously you're better off walking in as far as the evening hunt, walking in midday because, you know, there's not a lot of deer typically moving midday depending on the year. Now, during the rut, you never know where you're going to bust one. I've killed many deer you know, during the middle of the day, during the rut. So mm-hmm. you're, you're basically rolling dice. Guys overthink that a lot. Uh, I'm definitely one of those people that overthinks that. Um, one thing that uh, I'm kind of wondering about is one thing that we've talked about a whole bunch on the show over the last, 
you know, I guess year is the whole buck bedding phenomenon that's going on right now where everyone's all hung up on buck bedding. And we've gone through the whole thing where we've gone out and found the beds and and we still do go find beds from time to time. And and it's something that we've practiced and I've never, I've never really found much benefit as far as actually hunting the bed goes, but I have found benefit in knowing how to avoid where I think deer are going to be bedded while I'm accessing. So one thing that I'm wondering uh, about where you hunt is where are you finding deer bedded up? Are they strictly in thickets? And if so, are they on the edges or are they or are they like within the thicket? And then also, are they bedding in just random places throughout the woods? I mean, what what does their bedding pattern kind of look like where you're at? I, I can tell you for a fact uh, where we hunt. Uh, you know, you tend to think the deer are going to bed in the thickest places possible, and and that most of the time that's the case. But that is not 100% the case. I, I can tell you I've watched deer bed down in the wide open timber in some of these WMAs that we hunt, some of these refuges that we hunt. I'm not big on hunting. I've listened to guys, you know, jump a deer out of the bed and then they try to get him coming back. I've I've never had any success doing that, which I've never tried to do that. But I can tell you that deer where I hunt don't typically bed in the same exact spot every night that that's not a thing now they've got a general area where they want to bed and you you want to figure that out you want to know where where you think they're bedding and then depending on whether you're hunting a a feed tree or funnel or whatnot that's where you want when you're coming in you want to make sure that wind in your favor to where their bedding area is at but as far as as far as going in and, and trying to jump a deer out of his bed and then waiting on him to come back i can't speak for that I, i've never tried to do that typically from what i've seen that deer might bed in this spot one day and then he might be three quarters of a mile from there the next day in the areas that i hunt mm-hmm. is there a particular uh feature where you typically find deer bedded like if there's two or three trees falling all together are there like usually deer bedded there or is it just like so random that it's like pretty much unpredictable no, I mean it's few. Obviously, the thicker areas you're going to find deer bedded. Uh, last year, actually, I can remember my hunt last year. I got down. It, it started raining pretty good, traditional. So I had feathers. And normally, typically, if it's a good rain, I'm I'm gonna get out of there. So I I decided to climb down that day. It was about ten o'clock, and uh, I decided I was just gonna scout while it was decently steady rain. It wasn't nothing serious, but just just kind of a steady drizzle. I had walked probably three quarters of a mile, and I had gotten to actually it was a it was a blowdown that i that i'd come to and i i looked up and i could see a deer about he was probably 200 220 yards to the wide open timber right on the edge of the blowdown granted the wind was in my favor and i thought you know i'm gonna, I'm gonna try to slip up on this deer and he was a decent decent nine point he was probably 100 130 135 inch deer i got to watching him and i watched him for about five or six minutes he actually walked behind the top and bedded down i could just see the tips of his antlers it man it was perfect i thought i'm gonna stalk right up on this deer and, and kill him i got i started slipping to him wind was perfect i got within about 60 yards of this deer and he stands up he stands up and he he starts walking directly away from me now he was bedded behind there's a there's a blown down tree there's a top there he's bedded behind this top toward the base of the of the tree and when he's walking away he go he gets into the into the tornado path where i cannot see him at all 
And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm probably, like I said, I'm probably 60, 65 yards from a well. You know, this is not going to happen. I'm going to ease up here and, and kind of see what he was doing. I might come back here and hunt this evening. So I I literally walk up to this this treetop, and I had no idea there was another buck in this thing. I was not 15 yards from this deer. He was bedded up in this treetop. I mean, I'm talking about in the middle of this top, and literally scared the shit out of me when he jumped up <laughs> and, and hauled and, and, and hauled butt out of there. But I had no idea. You know, there were two deer there. And I, the one that had, had got up and walked off, you know, had I known this other deer was there, you know, man, I could have got right up on him. But so, the, yeah, they will, they will bed up in thick stuff. And, and like I said, I've watched, I've watched deer in the wide open timber and, and bed down in the wide open timber. So it's just wherever he wants to lay, that's where he's going to lay. Uh, Jonathan, are the bucks out there, and I guess does too, but are the bucks very nomadic uh, in the big river bottoms? In the in the big river bottoms where it's wide open timber, the the bucks are very nomadic. Yeah, so I can see that being very very difficult to put a pattern on a deer and try to kill one. So in the wide open timber, it is. But I can tell you, from just judging by my trail cameras over the last fifteen years, I mean deer, man, deer just like people. Some deer are going to roam, some deer are not. Uh, that homebody deer that wants to stay in that one particular area, he he's pretty he's pretty. He's a lot more easier to kill than that deer that's roaming. That roaming deer is hard to kill. But it seems like to me, just judging from my trail camera picture over the years, if you're hunting in a thicker area, that deer seems to not roam as much. If it's wide open timber, man, those deer they they roam. Interesting, and you know that kind of gets into a topic. Uh, well, first off, let me let me ask you this. Is there any topics when it comes to like hunting the rut that we didn't cover that you think we ought to talk about or, or cover that you do or you've had success doing? You know, the rut here where we hunt, it's uh it's it's pretty tough to hunt because you can throw all you know, you can have your deer pattern as far as feed trees or, or you know, scrape lines or rub lines, which I don't hunt much. But come the rut, you you can throw all that stuff out the window because that deer if you're hunting a mature deer, he he's focused on that doe, and you know you, you're wanting to hunt the does then. And typically, you know that doe she's 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 thinking she's wanting to feed, so she's she's wanting to feed. But when she's coming into the, you know, by that time you're you're talking about nut alls here in Arkansas, acres dropping. You know, you could be set up on that feature when that buck comes in and runs your crazy. It, you know it, it can be hard to get a shot that's why i really key in on some kind of funnel that's really narrowing those deer down into a you know 40 50 yard gap funnel and then i've got my tree there situated where i'm getting that deer to try to come in 12 12 20 yards that you know i'm trying to get in my either my recurve longbow perfect well let, let, i want to jump into the late season you know and i'd say this post rut season you know post rut so getting into late december you know january and even if you're hunting into february which i don't know if you're still chasing bucks in february um but in that later season if, if you don't have a if you don't have a good buck on the ground yet and you're still hunting for a good deer what is your tactics you know post rut what, what are you doing at that time are you trying to find that hot feed tree or are you trying to find that thick cover what does that look like for you uh post rut if, if I have not tagged out by then, and, and typically I don't, you know, I, I normally I, I've still, I've always got a tag in my pocket just because, you know, whether it be a doe tag or buck tag, just because I enjoy hunting so much, I, I normally don't want to tag out. But if uh, late season, past December, man, it's all about the food. That's, I mean, 
And but but the problem is there if you're hunting public land, you know, food sources tend to slim up quite a bit. The main thing you're focusing on there, late season, is if, if you're scouting and you can find that late nut all tree still been holding acres throughout the year that's starting to drop. You can try to key in on it. Have you had experience doing that and be able to kill, you know, a, a buck late season, you know, trying to find that, that one hot uh, nut all tree? Oh yeah. Yeah. If you can find that hot nut all tree late, you're going to kill, you're going to, you're going to have deer come in. You know, last year, for example, we hunted the, the uh, refuge. Oh, we, I had one buck last year that I was, that I was really trying to kill. He, he was the, the largest deer that I, I, ever seen honey uh i seen him twice and i basically dedicated my entire season to trying to kill that deer well the particular area where we were hunting that the season goes out december 31st so when the season went out didn't get him killed had to move areas and so we moved north to a wma that we hunt and it's thick with with uh red oaks uh nut alls and I got into an area where a couple of trees that I'd found, and I, and I had hunted them before. They were a couple of miles back from the nearest parking spot. Started dropping, and I got in there, and I, and I haven't hunted there all year. I just I just knew those trees there for the past. Went in there. Luckily, they were hit. It was beat out pretty good. Climbed up. I did not see a buck that evening, but I had I saw seven or eight does, and then uh. You know, I did have a doe come in that evening, uh, right under me, right under that acre tree that I was, uh, that I was hunting, shot her at seven steps and, you know, it worked out good. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I could see like, you know, especially in these areas, late season food sources, it would be something that would be you know, probably an exciting hunt to be honest, because you really don't know what's going to be coming in there. I guess kind of like early season two, you know, hunting those food sources, you know, around here, it it's not as relatable, um, you know, just where we're on in Alabama, um, you know, you might find a hot feed tree or something like that, but you know, in an area like where you're at, where it's, you know, it, it seems like it's so almost like monoculture, what's the right monoculture. word? Monoculture. Uh, so it's like all the deciduous forest and there's not a whole bunch of just greenery. Cause I'm guessing a lot of these trees are fairly mature. So it shades out a lot of the ground. There's not a lot of ground cover. Um, you know, finding that hot feed tree would just be exciting. I think almost like being on a green field on a good piece of private, uh, where it's like one of the last, you know, good food sources on the property. Um, but you know, when it comes to late season tactics, are you just trying to find that hottest food source close to bedding or is it one of those things that deer just going to travel quite a bit in the late season just to hit that food source? No, when it, when it comes to late season, you, you, you don't have to be so close to the bedding when it comes to late season. That deer has to feed. He needs, especially after the rut, he needs nutrition. He, he is going to have to feed. So he'll get up and he'll move. He'll move to where the food's at. So if you're, I don't care if you're a mile and a half from some thick, you know, thick bedding area. If you find that acre tree that's beat out during middle of, uh, you know, January, on up into February, you know, you park your butt there because you're, you're, you will have some success at that spot. He, that deer are going to be there. In, in a situation like that, when you might not know exactly what direction the deer are coming from, do you put that in consideration when you're trying to climb up the tree? Are you trying to get higher in those situations when you really don't know what direction they possibly could come from, especially if you're not close to bedding? Right, and that that's what we run into a lot. I mean, typically when you're hunting this wide open timber like we are, when you don't know exactly where that deer is coming from, 
you know, if you've got that hot feed tree that you know you want to hunt, you set up to where the wind is in your favor, to where that tree is upwind from you. And, you know, typically by that time of year in Arkansas, all the leaves are off the tree. So you're going to have to get high in the tree where that deer doesn't pick you out coming in, which is, you know, for me, I do not like that because I do not like to be super high in the tree just because it, it makes it a tougher shot on me but to you know to get out of the way of that deer's view you definitely want to get higher in the tree and you know you, you if you if you've got that that feature that you know it's beat out and the deer coming to you set up to where that tree is upwind from you you hope it, you hope it's going to work out from you i mean if you don't know where the deer come from there's there's nothing much you else you can do other than set up to where that tree is upwind from you Mm-hmm. Well, I'll ask Andrew. Andrew, do you have anything else? Uh, any other questions? I've got one other question, but I just want to see if you got anything you, else. You go first. All right. So, Jonathan, my last question for you, uh, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. You know, it's always fun. We've had a few guys on from Arkansas before, uh, and it's amazing how similar, but also how different each and everybody is mm-hmm. when it comes to their style of hunting, like these big river bottoms and these big mm-hmm. delta areas. Because it's a challenging part of the country. It really, really is. But it's a place that you know, can have the potential to have some giant deer because there are some huge deer that come out of those areas uh, each and every year. Um, so, you know, we're excited to talk to you about that. And we're, you know, we're happy that you were able to come on for the show. But my last question is, you know, what would be a tip you give to the listeners to kind of go out there and maybe, uh, you know, get their boots wet, uh, maybe not intentionally <laughs> on some Delta property, if they're going to get out there in some big river bottoms, maybe across the country, what would you recommend them looking for or try to get started, uh, you know, maybe this summer or come this fall? The biggest tip I can give anybody, new hunter, old hunter, whatever, is if you have free second, free minute, any free time you have, you know, get out there, hunt, scout, whatever you need to do. Like I said, you know, hunting's relative. You know, if any free minute you have, you need to be, you need to scout. You need to put the time in hunting, whatever it may be. You know, like we talked about earlier, I know too many guys that way overthink the bow hunting situation. You know, they think, especially new guys, they think, you know, they, they listen to all these podcasts and watch all these videos. They think they need the wind perfect. They think they've got, you know, it needs to be perfect weather. If you're not out there in the woods, you're not going to kill nothing. So my tip to, to guys will be get out in the woods as much as possible. Any free second you have, you need to be there. Absolutely. Now, I know for a fact that all the people who were excited about, you know, you being a traditional archer are probably yelling at their phone right now listening to this because we haven't asked you about your setup yet. So my closing question is, uh, can you give us a quick rundown of your bow and arrow setup? You know, what broadhead you're shooting and, and just kind of how, uh, how your archery equipment is set up for traditional bow hunting? Right. So um, over the years, it, it switched up quite a bit. And I, I started traditional hunting in 2010. So, so basically, I've had 10 years experience. Um, and, and, you know, I would say I've had decent success at it. And I've literally... I've literally shot just about every broadhead <clears throat> out there on the market, um, except a few. Uh, as far as my bow goes, I started out with the Bob Lee, which was my dad's, and then I went to a, a Black Widow. And personally, my my favorite setup, and it's and it's what I will hunt with this year, is my I went to a longbow uh, a couple of years ago. It's a Tolk Whip. Uh, it's made by a guy named Dan Dan Tolke in uh, Montana, and uh, that that is by far my favorite bow. It's a 50 pound Tolke whip, 
longbow, 62 inches at 50 pounds. As far as my air setup, out of that particular bow, I shoot a Eastern Axis 400 spine with the broadhead that I will use this year will be, no doubt, a Simmons uh, tree shark. Woo! Uh, oh, yeah. I shot that. Uh, <clears throat> I can tell you, without a doubt, that Simmons broadhead, I will save guys a lot of a lot of time and heartache. That Simmons broadhead for a whitetail, there's no other broadhead you need to use. And I've killed I've killed 49 deer with with a traditional bow, and the Simmons broadhead, and I just started using it last year, has by far impressed me more than any other broadhead out there. Yeah, I got a. I don't shoot a traditional bow. I shoot a compound. But I was shooting a swamp shark, which is a little bit smaller than what you're shooting. But it's still it's a hundred seventy five grain giant. Yeah, a giant fixed blade, inch and five yeah. eighth fixed blade. I, I was blown away, man. When I, I mean, first of all, like my arrows just they fly way better. I mean, way better with that heavy setup and that big fixed blade. I mean, they're like darts. And then I I did kill a deer with them last year. And, I mean, she didn't know what hit her. I mean, I thought I gut shot her because of how she acted. I mean, she had no idea what happened. Uh, and, I mean, she died within sight. I mean, she she had no idea. It was, it was fantastic. But, yeah, I, this sounds like a commercial for Simmons. But they're not paying us anything. Maybe they should. But No, I, no absolutely not. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the guy who makes them or anything. But, but I can tell you, I've. No, I was I was a big fan. I still am a big fan of the the single beveled broadheads. What brand do you like? Alaskan. Oh, what are they? Let's, the Grizzly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Grizzly. Grizzly stick. Grizzly stick. Yeah, Alaskan. Dude, those are some bad heads. That that Maasai. I've killed. Uh, man, I've killed a lot of stuff with that Maasai. Uh, the biggest boar hog I've ever killed. I killed with that Maasai. Full full pass through with just a fifty pound bow. I mean, I've literally shot every broadhead out there and killed the biggest, the largest deer I've ever killed. I killed the Zwicky. You know, just a just a cheap old wiki, and I, oh, I'm yeah. a firm believer it's not necessarily the broadhead; it's where you put that arrow, and that's just a fact. If you've got a good sharp broadhead, you put that arrow where it needs to go. It's a dead deer. But that being said, last year I started using the the Simmons, and man, let me tell you, if you put that arrow in the body cavity, that blood trail is not hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Well, Jonathan, man, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, I, I know you got some really. I've seen some of your videos before, and I know you had. I don't know if it was last year, or two years ago. You shot a freaking hog off the ground that I thought it was about to take you out, son. After you shot it, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that was last year, and that you know that happens pretty common. They they uh, <laughs> they like to get after you if you uh, if you don't put it where you need to. So, <laughs> but you never know, and I. You know, that's one thing I love to, I like to film a lot of my stuff. And, uh, but one thing I'm terrible at, I'm, I'm good at bringing my camera with me and filming, but man, when it comes to sitting down on that, at that computer and trying to edit it all, I just give up. Like I have so much stuff that I've never put out there because I don't even want to take the time to, to do it. Like it's, it's a weird deal, but you know, I've got a lot of hunts over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm going to try to put out there to let folks see, but, uh, gosh man that you know sitting down in front of that computer and trying to edit all that stuff it dude i, I want to be i'd rather be hunting yeah it's terrible <laughs> i mean like it's it's terrible but anyway well hey jonathan uh just kind of wrap it up if uh we got any listeners that want to reach out to you maybe ask you questions uh it, it's fairly common for a lot of our listeners to kind of ride in and you know ask our guest questions how can someone find you and also if you have a youtube channel how can people find you some of your videos 
Um, YouTube's Jonathan Moreland. I, I haven't updated it in a long time. That's something I'm going to start working on. Um, and then, you know, Facebook's Jonathan Moreland. And I'm, I'm also on, on Instagram uh, at Jonathan Moreland. Awesome. Awesome, Jonathan. Hey, again, we appreciate you coming on, brother, and I think you've given us a really good representation of those bottomlands of Arkansas, and uh, hopefully our listeners got a lot out of it. And, again, we just appreciate you coming on. All right, man. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up that episode. I'm sitting here with the ginger bow hunter himself. Uh, we're actually, this is a delayed outro. We didn't record this immediately following the episode like we normally do. I've been busy boiling a skull, and Jacob's been busy just decimating, decimating the Lake Gunnersville crappie population. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. It's been, it's been a good time. It's been a really good time. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, but kind of as a recap on this episode, uh, Jonathan had a lot of really cool topics that he touched on that I never even thought about. One of the most interesting, which when this episode drops, probably on by Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm going to drop a video that he sent us where he talks about how he uses persimmons. Like when he's hunting a persimmon tree, he puts some of them in his pocket and drops them when he's up in the tree. He has video, an awesome video, <laughs> of like this group of does that come out. And they're like, at, yeah, they're probably at 50, 60 yards. And he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to show you all a tip, something I, I do all the time. He's like, I got one of these persimmons right here. I'm about to drop it straight down. Just watch what happens. They're going to walk right to me. And he's filming them, and he's like, all right, watch this. He drops it, and you hear it hit the ground. And they look up at him. They look up at the base of the tree, and they walk straight to it. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm like, get me some of that. That's awesome. So I was like, that is, that's so cool. But he has so many cool little tidbits. I just like what makes him successful. And uh, after talking to him more on the phone, there's so much more that we left, kind of uh, left some meat on the bone for a follow-up episode of even more in detail. But, again, talking like early, foods and, uh, early season food sources, He's got some great photos and videos of big bucks and does eating that honey locust. Like on camera, like got a big pot in its mouth. Oh, yeah. And he's like, this is what we're looking for. And uh, anyway, so it was really fascinating. But again, I really enjoyed talking to Jonathan and kind of get his perspective on uh, really what makes him successful out in those uh, those river bottoms of eastern Arkansas. Uh, I was trying to ask him questions as though I was like going to go there to hunt, which I would like to one day, uh, I feel like. I feel like I'm I'm equipped slightly to go there and uh, beating around in the bushes, figure out what's going on. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, I liked it. It was a good episode. Hopefully we can get him back on. Um, other than that, what have we been doing? Uh, I've just been working, crappie fishing, trying to catch some catfish, and you've been doing... Uh, we went and tried to scout, run some cameras, and then I did a urine mount on my buck I killed in December. Uh, it was a it was a it's a pain in the butt. I didn't realize how much of a pain it would be. Oh yeah, I, I'll say this: I've never done it. Um, I've only had I buried one in the backyard before, which I'll probably never do again because I don't like the way it turned out. And then uh, another one I've had uh, had uh, actually I need to go pick it up. Uh, Wilson's uh, Wildlife Artistry up in Tennessee. Oh yeah, uh, they did my Tennessee buck from uh, two seasons ago. So, but. Uh, yeah, I need. We need to do something. I want to do it. I want to do another real cool year. I want to do a year with a pig. We gotta go kill some pigs. Hey, what? I'm uh, I'm getting it set up. I was talking to Clay. Uh, you go down. Clay Collie. Yeah. All right. And go down to you know where mm -hmm. and uh, I mean start finding them. I was thinking about like I couldn't do it this weekend. I tried to this weekend, but I I didn't make it out. Uh, but maybe. I don't, I, I don't know when. What, what's the biggest um What's the biggest shot size they allow for squirrels? You can hunt them with a freaking 270 right now. Oh, it's a 
Oh, oh no, okay, yeah, that's, national forest. Yeah, okay, never mind. You're yeah, right. you can own them with anything. So I'm gonna. I'm oh, gonna, why are we doing this right now? I know. Well, that's so. I want to go find them. Um, we could take. So what I was thinking is like, set up a day, go down there with a couple rifles, like maybe a shotgun, um, with some buckshot, and go scout and find them. And if we can find uh some kind of feed tree or some kind of food source that they're hitting, something like reliable. Then I really want to bow hunt them because I really, really want to send one of those swamp sharks right into a pig and see what happens. Um, but uh, I would kind of like to go down there and prowl around with the rifle a little bit, try try my new rifle I out. I want to kill one with a pistol and get redemption yeah. after last time. Yeah, I mean exactly. So I'm really wanting to do that. Uh, I thought about calling up Adrian. I probably will um, and seeing what kind of advice he has. But this weekend, I got to go help a buddy move. And then the weekend after that, I'm going to be at a family reunion in North Carolina. And then after that, let's go pig hunting. <laughs> so kind of late summer. I mean, getting in, getting close kind of into August, you can uh, go get after some pigs. I don't know what they'd be eating at that time of year, but we could figure it out. Squirrels. <laughs> actually, actually let's tell that story let's tell that story that is a funny freaking story because i was so confused <laughs> just trudging around on the in the oh, swamp how long ago was that five years ago that was when i very first moved to auburn so it must have been when did i move to auburn i don't know that's what i'm trying to figure out 2017 maybe was it that recent i actually i'm pretty I sure it was yeah because we the same year the first year i moved to auburn is when we went to wyoming that was 2017 okay we moved there. So summer 2017, mm-hmm. we go out there. Yep. Oh yeah, because that's yeah, that's when I get that the, the, the right. 10 millimeter. Yep. That's what I took. Yep. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go out. To <laughs> I was our, like, I was like, what pistol did I have? That's exactly what yeah. I had. Local, local national forest. Um, go out there and we're just walking around. We're, we weren't even looking for pigs. We were deer scouting because mm-hmm. I just moved down there. Yeah, it was August. I'd literally just moved down there. Uh, and we're like, let's go check this out. And you had your pistol. We run into like a freaking sounder of pigs down in the swamp. <laughs> and one of them is carrying a dead squirrel in its mouth, of all yeah. things. I was like, what is in its mouth? <laughs> and Jacob, Jacob has his brand new 10 millimeter chest holster and everything <laughs> and just, just unleashes fire on these things. <laughs> he freaking draw. And I mean, they're 15, they're 15 yards. Yeah. I and mean, they're close. Yeah. Cause we're walking through this like privet thicket. <laughs> And there's like this deep little creek, and it's like the creek is like an inch deep, but it's like really steep banks. It's like seven feet deep, mm-hmm. and we can like hear them down there. And we're walking up to it, and they pop up out of it, and they're right on the other side. And Jacob just draws. He's like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> These pigs just running everywhere, dude. It was crazy. They're like running each way. They're they're screaming. They're oh yeah. I was like, oh my god, what's going on? Completely missed. <laughs> like, I was bl- like blue. Like, Holy crap. Yeah, you were next to me. I was like, I felt bad for your eardrums. Oh, yeah, I felt like my ears were going to bleed. And then we go over there, I'm like, dude, I think that had like a squirrel in its mouth. Yeah, we get over there. It was like a rotten, it's like carrying around a rotten squirrel. I'm like, where did it get this? Yeah, it's like, did it did it catch it or did it find it dead? I don't know. That's kind of weird, man. I wonder what a pig that's been eating dead squirrels would taste like. Oh, I don't, I don't know. But they, they were the right size to eat. And they were like, what, 25 pounds or something? Oh, dude, they were they were scrumptious looking little <laughs> things. <laughs> like, oh, we're going to put one of those bad boys on the grill hole. Dude, so... Yeah, we had some pig meat the other day. Oh. So so anybody who listens to Meat Eater, I listen to Meat Eater every week. They had the like meat scientist on, and he Very was good. talking about like the acidity of things is what makes meat tender. And I killed that pig um, at the SOA hunt back in February, 
and it was like a clean, it was the cleanest kill ever. I shot it with a twenty two, lights out, right in the head, and it just fell over dead. Nothing. I mean, cleanest, fastest kill. And for some reason, this is like the toughest hog ever. And it might be I don't know what we did wrong, or if we skinned it wrong or something, but it's so tough. You you, you cut it probably up real quick, didn't you? We gutted it right there, mm-hmm. and then we drove to the check. You know what? We definitely pieced that thing up, boned it out within, with definitely within three hours, probably within two. When he, when he when he talked about that on that podcast, I was like, oh, very interesting. That explains it. Yeah. Yep. But anyway. Okay. So yeah. So this thing's freaking tough. And he said something about like freaking kiwis or something. Yeah. There's like different things like um, um acidic fruits like pineapples and kiwis. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I'm like looking through the fridge trying to find a marinade and there's a thing of like, like old kiwis in the bottom of the fridge that were like about to go bad. So I'm like, well, I'm going to give this a try. So I take them out, puree them and then, uh, marinate it, uh, marinate the pig meat in it for like 30, 45 minutes, take it out and grill it tender. Dude, they were delicious. And it was good, man. Yeah, it was it, good. And one thing and you couldn't taste the kiwi. Well, I know, but one thing that again I noticed there was a di- there was a distinct flavor difference between like the hind roast or whatever it came off the leg. Yeah, it was like cooked. a like it, one of the roast cuts off the back, and leg. then the back strap. Yes. To me, I like the leg meat more, which is surprising. I did too. Like it was way more flavorful, and you could actually taste it. It tasted more like pork, where the back strap was like just kind of like uh. The back straps on a pig are weird. They're like kind of flat. They're not like a deer where you have like a like round. a round like tube of meat. Mm-hmm. They're like flat. Uh, it's it's very strange. Like you, even on a big pig, they're like very they're wide and skinny. They're not like thick like mm-hmm. a deer's, which I don't really like because they're hard to cook because you can overcook them. But anyways, yeah, that turned out really good. But I really want to kill another pig because uh, I like pig meat. They're delicious. Oh Get yeah, some more ribs. I like the ribs off of them, and I really want to kill a pig. That has been eating blackberries. Blackberries are in right now. Blackberries, maybe some uh, early muscadines and stuff. Been eating a bunch of fruit. I bet they taste good. For real. We killed one one time in February that had been eating acorns and hickory nuts and whatever else they eat. And it's I rendered its fat yeah. and it tasted like nutty. It was so, it was delicious. It was like peanut oil but better. It was, it was delicious. Mm. I cooked everything in it for like a year. Like, it was great. Um, so I'd like to kill one like that, but, but one that's been eating, like, this late summer fruit that we have down here and see what it uh, winds up tasting like. I bet it'd be good. I bet it would be. Now we just got to find them. Yeah. 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 If anybody's uh, got a property with some pigs they, that uh, need killing, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed to scare some pigs off. Actually, I just thought of one person who already offered. I was us. gonna say, uh, I think there was like two people. I think there was a couple from what I remember. But yeah, no, uh, yeah, pig hunting. I've never really done it, but I know you and Colton's done it a little bit on like one of their properties mm-hmm. too. Y'all killed a big, big. Uh, oh, was it a boar or something? It was a boar, big old boar, huge boar. Is that the one that you had on the backside of the Tacoma hanging up? Yeah, yes. that was a huge pig. <laughs> That's a big pig. That was a big pig, and we ate that. Man, we ate we ate that for a long time. We uh, when we moved down to Auburn. We were eating hog meat for yeah. like a long time. What did, I came down there for a fight or something, and y'all had like the ribs off that thing. Yeah, and yeah. it was like it was it was good. I don't know, man. The first time that we ever started cooking pig, I took the both racks of ribs off this pig. It was the same pig that I rendered the fat off of, um, and those were like flawless. They were delicious, 
and then every other time I've cooked them, they've been like okay or not good. You know what I think you need to do next time? What? I think you ought to pressure cook them. Yeah. And then finish them on the grill. Oh, that'd be good. That's the way to mm. do it. Have mercy. That's the, like, the easiest way to like <laughs> make a terrible or like an okay piece of meat taste pretty good. Yeah. Pressure yeah. cooker and then put it on the like a hot grill for like just a couple minutes. You got, me, you got me excited for pigs now. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I'm excited for whatever. Crappie, the pigs, the deer, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Squirrels, sure. rabbits. I mean, Listen, I've been seeing enough rabbits. Oh, man. It's, it's, got me, it's got me. If you listen to the episode with Kevin, was it Kevin Murphy? I was talking about shooting those pet rabbits. Oh, yeah. I was like, <laughs> y'all listen to Kevin Murphy's episode. No, we dropped a couple weeks ago. Hear me about blasting away some rabbits that were farm raised. Ground, <laughs> ground sliding them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my man, I, I've seen them driving around. I'm like, oh boy, listen, little, little scrumptious things, bringing back some good memories. Delicious, yeah. <laughs> Gonna have us some cotton tail. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was talking to Michael and JT about uh, the pig hunting thing when we were out scouting the other day, and it was you know kind of it was like last hour or hour and a half of daylight. It was like pretty cool out. Sun starts going down. It doesn't feel that bad during the day. It's miserable outside, but like that last half hour, I'm like, man. It'd be cool to go down there. Uh, there's, I mean, where we're planning on hunting, there's plenty of fishing opportunities. So we could go down there and fish, hang out for a while, and then kind of last uh, part of the day go out and see if we can't get on some pigs. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And plus, it, I really want to, um, like, uh, I want to go down there and test uh, my arrow setup on pigs. And I really want to get some other broadheads too. Like, he kept mentioning that grizzly stick, Maasai, and then – the hunting public just dropped a video of pig hunting, and I think that's what Jake shot the pig with. And I'm like, oh, I want to try one. They're nasty. Uh, and I looked at it. It's like giant, just like meaty broad. That's my kind of broadhead, dude. So I want to try it bad. I think that'd be cool. But it kind of goes back to the whole thing. At the very beginning of the summer, me and you were talking about, um, I was like, if you like, usually summer drags by for me. But if you change your mindset and you're like, I only have – like three months this summer to get everything done for when uh, deer season gets here, then it starts going by faster. And this summer is flying by for me. We do we've been doing all the scouting and everything. So now we kind of got we got what four bachelor groups located, mm-hmm. uh, which we haven't we haven't posted any of them. Nope. have we? No, but we've got we've got how many shooters would you say? Like deer that are clearly shooters. I'd say there's at least one of my that one camera I had. The yeah. one that came up right in the camera. I think there's a bigger one in the background, but you can't see it. Because, by the way, nobody listen. Oh, I don't talk trash bad, talking. I don't talk bad about a lot of things very often. But geez, those freaking stealth cams I brought. Yeah, which I cannot remember the model number. They are garbage. I'm just gonna let everybody know. If I post the video, y'all be like, "Was that taken with a freaking fish finder?" Potato. No, it's like with a fish finder. <laughs> it looks terrible. It does, man, it's it is really bad. There's it, one. There's one. It's a shame because in the last video, there's one deer. That's just like a big old fat thing, big old tank, and you can't tell. Yeah, brisket hanging out. He's like, like a he's beef like, cow. He's like t- he's like there. twelve yards from the camera, and you cannot tell. You what cannot tell what he is. Yeah, this this and it's a night video, and there's one part where he turns his head. You can see that he has antlers, but you cannot tell what they are. Yeah, I bet he's a big buck though. I, I think that deer, and then the one that comes right up to the camera that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael's like, man, I thought that was a spike until he stood in front of the camera. Yeah, he had I'm to like, that's walk how... and basically smell the camera for you to see what he was. Yeah, that's how terrible those cameras are. Like, dude, and I was excited about those cameras. Nope, dude, those things are about to be like sold or trashed. That's some of the garbage. Terrible. Like, I, <laughs> Don't I, I, give them to somebody else. Yeah, I feel like terrible. <laughs> give it to someone else. Like, hey, what'd you set up? I'm like, hey, listen, they're crap. I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it in the description. 
<laughs> These are terrible. Um, I got at least two on my cameras. Michael's got uh, at least two, probably more than that. Two shooters? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for yeah, sure. So, oh, shoot, no, I think he's got three. He's got way more than two. I can think of three right off the bat like that. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, we got all kinds of bucks located. So now, like I've, we were talking about this earlier, I want to – We'll, we'll we'll talk about this in a second, but I want to I want to go and like test out arrow setups on pigs, and plus I want to kill a pig and get some more pig meat and everything. But I think it'd be cool to go and uh, just test what we got on pigs, just have a good time, and just kind of address any flaws that we might find with our arrow setups. Um, but then also we were talking about earlier branching out. Now that we've got, you know, we found bucks in places where we expected to find bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, why don't we go out and find bigger bucks in weird places that we wouldn't expect to find them? Well, if you say where you wouldn't expect to find them. I think I know where some are. It's just we ain't put cameras in there yet. Yeah, that's but true. we won't know until we put cameras in <laughs> whether or not they're actually there still. So that's the biggest thing. But yeah, well, I agree. I mean, kind of like uh, what Don talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, find that overlooked stuff that just you know people don't think about right off the bat. One of mm-hmm. them's. Going up that hill that we have to pass every time when we have to run some trail cameras, and I'm like, oh. that little corner right there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I fully believe there's something right there. Yeah, like hundred percent. Like for sure, there. Listen, ain't nobody stopping there. Ain't nobody <laughs> doing nothing. And they're driving by, money spot. So, have you put out your lone wolf camera yet? No, it's still at the house. I ain't got it set up yet. Wednesday. Let's do it Wednesday. Depends on what I got going on Wednesday, but yeah, probably. If you ain't working, let's do it, bro. Dude, I'm always working. What you talking about? I know. You never get to hunt, man. It ain't hunting season. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's always hunting season for pigs. I ain't got pigs close by. Let me find somebody. Yes, we do. <clears throat> but um, so something I thought about for this season uh, for us to kind of try out, and after kind of talking to a couple of these guys, especially like Jonathan, um, made me think about, you know, it would probably be smart if we're hunting, like you mean, Michael, hunting with at least one or two trail cameras with us at all times. Mm-hmm. So if you find something that is like just looking super hot, you can hang a camera on it real quick and, you know, hopefully come back and check it, check with it, you know, in a little bit and see what's going on. I think that'd be a really smart thing, especially if you found like a really hot scraper, you found that community scrape while you're hunting. Um, or just a crazy, just like travel corridor, um, or like early season, you find a big cluster of rubs where a bachelor group's probably hanging out, oh, yeah. hanging camera right there on it. But the thing I thought about was, you know, there's now a quite a few options for trail cameras or cell cameras for like under 150 bucks mm-hmm. and having a couple of those in your bag and literally like, dude, we were, I mean, talking about like, you know, feed trees. Okay. Going in and you find that hot feed tree, man, you hang that cell camera. You get that big deer come on camera, or maybe not, but you maybe get a good deer cam- get on camera for a couple of days, kind of get a pattern on them. You go in there and just assassinate them. I mean, mm-hmm. call it high tech redneck right there. Yeah, but it's like you know, I mean, why not? You know, yeah. I, I mean, hang your camera high. You know, when it comes to stuff like that, especially early season, I'm not worried about guys stealing my cameras. Like, be 100 percent honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, hanging up a little bit. You know, you got climbing sticks with you anyways. And if you find like that hot food source, a hot feed tree or something, why not have a couple good cameras with you, mm-hmm. and like a cell camera, and whether it's like one of those uh, spy point links on like a Tasco camera, um, or the um, you know that new uh, God, what's that camera from uh, uh, Tactic Canada released? Oh, hundred and ten dollar uh, cell camera. I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, but anyway, 
there's quite a few options. I mean, Moultrie's got a couple options too, but have a couple of those with you for like when you're mobile hunting and scouting, you find something hot, man, you hang that camera. And there's a podcast. I want to talk about this real quick. Uh-oh. So a podcast I listened to from the guys from Untamed, uh, The Untamed, yeah. um, out of like Southern West Virginia. They had one of their buddies on. Uh, this, you know, they've done a few podcasts, but it's kind of like, you know, they do it at certain times and they slow down. But it was like from last year. They had a guy on that was one of their buddies who killed like a 170-something-inch buck in, on public land in southern uh, West Virginia. And what he did was they were running bears with dogs in September, and he bumped the buck out of his bed up on the mountain, okay, and found exactly where his bed. He's like, dude, this is a money spot. He came back. I don't know if he had a cell camera with him or he came back, but he hung a cell camera right on the exit trail and literally was getting pictures of the buck, like, I think that night, like, when he got back down to his four-wheeler down the mountain, Mm -hmm. and literally within, like, a week, he had a pattern on the deer, went back in and killed it within a week. And I'm like, that's what's up, dude. (laughs) Like, you know, that is is so freaking sick. Dude, listen. I mean, why not? Uh Uh-oh, Tiffany's joining us. But, uh, I mean, why not, dude? I, I think... That is, just I think it's a great idea, a killer idea, especially for somebody with like super limited time, like yourself. I mean, you're you're the poster child of not having any time to hunt, so it's like you know stack the odds in your favor. Well, I mean, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are of that. I mean, at no, least- I think it's a great idea, especially like Michael last year on opening day. We had been glassing those deer all summer. Michael goes in on opening day and he sees like one or two of them like early in the morning. He gets in there, finds a big community scrape right down in the bottom, and found, finds where a beech tree had been dropping, and the deer were just tearing it up. If you find a hot beech tree, you found something, because beech trees don't make very often. Um, and he, he left it, and I don't know if he ever hunted it again, but that's the, the perfect thing to put it on, because then you know exactly what's going to be coming there. You're going to know uh, like what time they're coming through. I oh, think yeah. it would be super helpful. Oh, especially, like you said, with limited time, you have an idea of – you know, when that buck's coming through, how he's coming through. And maybe you can either get some time off work or you have a really good game plan for the weekend how you can get in and hunt them. Oh, and, yeah. and the best thing, this is my thought, using the cell cameras. Because I'm, listen, I was never a big proponent of cell cameras. I remember when they first came out and they were $500 each. Yeah. And I was like, hell to the no, no, to the no, no, no. No, but um, so now that they're, you know, more affordable than ever, um, I see them being a very useful tactic for the guy that has very limited time. I mean, I, I truly believe that. And what I thought was really cool, you do this, you go and you find the hot feet sign, you put the camera on, okay? Mm-hmm. When you're getting photos of the buck, especially during daylight, what's the weather doing? What, what's the what's the everything? Oh, yeah, you can look I, right I mean, then. Dude, right then and there, okay, what's the weather, what's the wind direction coming out of? You know, what's the temperature like? What, you know, is it post-front, pre-front? You know, what's going on? And you get a good idea of what's happening. And That's a good idea. I'm like, well, why not? Yeah. You just get that cell camera, put it in the, we were talking about, me and Michael and you were talking about, you know, some of these uh, better pine thicket bedding areas that we've uh, been finding, putting the cell camera just in that, you know, and you start, if it starts lighting up on like a Thursday night, you be like, man, I feel a sick day coming on tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Call into work, I go out I, on Friday. I had some bad Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> I had some bad Mexican food last night. Yeah. <laughs> Tore me up from the floor. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then, you know, yeah, you can call in sick, go out there and maybe capitalize. I mean, just like that guy, again, from the Untamed, I think his name's Zach, uh, who killed that real big deer. And supposedly he's used that tactic multiple times, which would be kind of interesting maybe to talk about on the show. But, uh, I mean, literally find the deer and within a week, like just a couple weeks after season started, or maybe it was a week after season started, had that buck killed. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that is awesome. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you find a big deer like that, you just one uh, intrusive, you know, 
time going in because you always have a camera on you at all times. You find them, you hang the camera, you get out and see what's going on. I don't think it, it. I don't think it's any better than that. I love it, dude. Yeah. Okay, so we were talking. What we were talking about earlier about hunting clubs, and oh, leases. About oh, interesting topic. Well, because uh, JT joined another club, um, and I don't know. There, uh, there's a time like earlier. I guess it was actually at the end of last year season where somebody was talking about getting a lease. I can't. Remember I think it was, was Michael. It was Michael. I t- think it was Michael. Yeah, he's like, dude, we could all get in one, and we could like. We could run it, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, which, I mean, yeah. is true. But now, especially since, I don't know, uh, there was a brief time where I thought about it. But then I've, been, I've started making these maps for people, and I've been making maps for a lot of hunting clubs and leases and stuff. And it's like, even the bigger ones are just like, that's like one of our spots, you know. Like a 3,000-acre club is like one of our spots where we hunt. And we've got like five of those that we're focusing on or something like that. I just feel so limited, like especially looking at these like real detailed maps I've been making and seeing everything that's on that whole property, and it's like so inconvenient because the property lines there's always stuff like right across where you're like, oh that looks really good, but you can't go over there because it's not a giant WMA. You know what it does? It makes you focus on what you got. That's true. So you don't have a that's race in mind, <laughs> a wandering mind of Andrew Maxwell. That's true. He's like, listen, Andrew kill the crap out of some deer if he's stuck to a couple hundred acres. There was that one guy I talked to somewhere on social media, maybe it was in person, talking about like one of these uh, major areas that we hunt. He's like, every year I go out there, and I need to find him because it'd be an interesting topic. But it's like every year he's like, he finds a new like 200 acre parcel of it. Like he just looks at the map. He's like, all right, I'm going to take this 200 acre parcel. I'm going to know everything about it, like the back of my hand. And that's all I'm going to hunt for this whole year. And he does it and he kills good deer every freaking year doing that. Cause he finds a place with diversity and all kind of stuff. And he learns it, runs cameras, everything and goes kill good deer. And I feel like, you know, other guys, uh, Wes Moe, who we've had on the podcast back in, I think January, he does the same thing. Uh, on a couple different parcels where they have like, you know, they might have a spot that's 600 acres, but they know like the back of their hand, know all the exit trails. And that's how, you know, him and his, you know, boys and his guys go in there and hunt like a wolf pack, as he calls it. Mm-hmm. And they kill the crap out of some big deer every year. And it's like, I feel like if you use that tactic, especially down here where we have a lot of diversity, like it's not just a lot of just big open expanses of this same kind of, you know, monoculture uh, mm-hmm. terrain. Yeah. I feel like you'd be really successful. But the thing is, then you're like, you're stuck. I mean, you're not stuck there, but you're like, you're mentally, like, I'm staying here. Yeah. I'm like, takes the excitement out of it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about that. But I don't know. I just, I don't know. Yeah, the whole lease thing, I can't, I don't know. I just can't get into it. I know a lot of our listeners have leases and stuff, but I just, I don't know. Not for me. Andrew's an elitist. Yeah, I only hunt public and I only do it with my saddle. And a tra- trad bow. <laughs> I'm going to start hunting with a trad bow. Yeah. <laughs> which, we did, which we did talk about in this episode, which again, we all have one. I know Michael's going to try to kill something this year with a trad bow, but. I know, I got to I gotta buy a bow target. Uh, I got to get set up with that thing. I got to figure out what my setup's going to be. Because I, I do want to start practicing because I'd love to hunt with it some but i don't know dude, i don't know if dude, i could this year be like jonathan go out there the first time he ever went out actually he told me that first time he went out i think he, yeah he killed a doe and then killed i think another doe the next day with that recurve dang like first time he ever took the bow out after practicing for a little dang, bit that's awesome and i'm like what a killer man <laughs> i mean killing 49 deer with a trad bow that's freak in 10 years that's freaking legit yeah that's awesome so maybe i can be like that one day <laughs> who knows possibly 
Yeah, anything else? No, yeah. I don't know. The whole the whole lease thing is kind of funny. I had a uh, not funny, but I I got an uncle who messaged me today. He said, "Man, I found there's some website, one of these state websites. He said, "Man, there's a ton of leases for like, you know, available right now." And I was like, "Okay, cool." I'm like, "I'd rather spend money on a bunch of other gear and just keep learning this public land." Cuz the only thing I see like especially in the state of Alabama, if you're going to hunt a lease, the only reason you're doing it is so if it's by yourself and you get the money to only lease it for yourself, then you get X amount of property that's just for you. Okay, and whoever else you lie on it, that's cool. But not many guys I know lease a property just by themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's a few. Like I've got an uncle that does that, but it's like okay, you might lease 400 acres for yourself. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then you know you might do it or get in a lease or get in a club because you want more opportunity with a firearm. Because uh, it's the way public land here is in Alabama. Unless you're hunting national forest, you know it's it's you know very limited opportunity. Well, even on national forest, you got doe days. Yeah, yeah. So you exactly. can shoot does like 15 days out of the whole season mm-hmm. with a rifle. Yep. But. but I'm like, you know, other than that, I'm like, I don't know. Again, you know, I think it might be cool, you know, one day in the future. It, I, I, I told you, if I found, like, a really cool lease that was, like, a very interesting part of, like, the state or something that, you know, just, you know, was terrain that uh, consistently, was you know, had, you know, was known for growing big deer just because the habitat and the food source and everything, that might be kind of cool. But other than that, you know, the public land, dude, it's like, I don't know, I'd rather spend more money and travel out of the state and do much other things and, you know, just hunt more with my bow than have to worry about, you know, getting in a lease or getting in a club and having to deal with all that. Yeah, go to Wyoming. You know, Shoot, yeah. Buy a, buy a four-pack Christensen rifle. Get all these. That's man, a good point. Not spending two grand a year on a lease frees up a lot of money for other stuff, you know. That's an excellent point. Now, you said, like, hunting a cool part of the state. Like, black belt, 100%. Man, I've hunted the black belt a good bit. Listen. There's a lot of deer there. There's a lot of deer there. And I know, like, some guys down around Selma, Alabama, mm-hmm. that have, like, property that consistently they have consistently really big deer and like awesome habitat and just like you know really killer stuff like something like that would be awesome but the thing is then you gotta drive so freaking far every time to go hunt i'm like forget Man. that crap we grew up hunting like um one of the first leases i ever got into not got into but like hunted with an uncle of mine who leased it with i think a buddy or two it was down in pineapple alabama oh yeah which you pass on the way down if you're going to the beach or anyone just south of uh, montgomery and uh we had they had a lease down there and it was pretty interesting dude they killed some big deer down there but it was like you know it wasn't much more different than like what we hunt terrain wise yeah um but i'm like every time they go hunt they'd have to drive freaking two hours yeah one way i'm like forget that crap <laughs> like, dude listen i'd rather be in the tree stand more than on the road yeah have to leave like at 1 a.m every morning to get down there and get set up Man, the good old black belt I mean, i'm surprised you said that or or uh, okay so Black belt because there's a lot of deer numbers and you have a chance to kill you know some good deer. It's a cool place. Too. Other than that, it would probably. Be... <sighs> I, I'm torn between northeast or northwest Alabama. Both. But yeah, no. I mean, it's I like don't a, care. It's a split. Tennessee but... River. I mean, anywhere yeah, on t- the Tennessee River. Exactly. Monster deer. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, that's a, if you look at the record book entries, which I'm not big on that, but I mean, if you go look at it, that's where the most of them come from. Yep. Because for a while there, I didn't know where. It, I got curious one time because there's a bunch of a uh, bunch of deer coming out of a uh, what was it Sumner County a couple years ago. Sumner mm-hmm. County killed just like so many big deer, and I was like, man, I bet they're number one. And I looked it up, and no, it's like Jackson, Marshall, yeah, and like I can't remember the third one. The cab, yeah, right, right yeah. there, North Alabama. That's where that's where all the, all the biggins come from. Yeah, they and. 
I mean, anyone that hunts up there, like the one one guy I met like two years ago while we were up there looking at some public land, I try and get some access to it from the backside. Mm-hmm. Went to talk to this landowner, and I, he he invites me to his house. And oh I, yeah, I come in, and he's like, he's like, dude, let me show you some DRQ because we were just talking and everything. We should to, interview that guy. Yeah, turned to find out he didn't um, he didn't own the land that I was trying to get access to. It was another woman, and uh, anyways, but he invites me in the house. I go in there, and he's like, yeah, come look at some of the DRQ. And I walk in there, I'm like. What state did these come from? He said, like, "Oh, dude, this came like right behind the house, like just out over here." And I'm like, "Jeez, dude, some hammer, dude, huge deer, <laughs> monster deer." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I mean, he, he's like skull. He's doing like a euro amount, like a 150 inch deer, 145 inch oh, deer." And he's like, "Then he had this giant buck that was hanging off the wall." And I'm like, "What did that score?" And he's like, "I think it, he's like, girl, it's like 168 or something." And I'm like, "Oh my god, dude, these monster bucks!" Mm. And uh, he had a he had quite a few of them. And they all were killed within like ten miles of that house, and I'm like, but they all came from private. He didn't kill any on public. They were on private, but some of them were close to the public land. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god. He's like, oh yeah, do some hammer. He's like, dude, you get you get back there where you wanted to go, where I wanted to go in the public. He's like, dude, listen. He said, I don't know many guys that get back there, but you might kill a giant <laughs> get yeah, in there. That's what I'm Cause saying. Because he said one of his properties were only like a couple miles from there, just like up from it. And uh, he's like, dude, I guarantee there's some. Some of the big ones that we've killed and seen on camera are coming from there. Oh and yeah, I, and I'm like, hey there! Now you got me excited, willing to willing to get back in there. So, and then we went back in there, kind so of. Found the sign. I think if we do, I think we ought to do it again. But we ought to go back in there and hunt for like three, like three days, like in a row. Give like it, yeah, give it a chance. Because we got back there and we're like freaking scared of falling trees. Because I've never been in a place with so many deadfalls. Yeah. Ever. That was crazy. Yeah, trees were falling left and right. Like I, I've, I was literally scared. I don't like. I've never been like scared of legit getting hurt on a hunt like that. But that was sketchy in a windstorm like that. Yep, big pine trees, big pine trees. Beetles got back in there and mm-hmm. bought a deadfall. But I think that if we, if we went the other way instead of going that way, we went that way. I'm not yeah, saying yeah, yeah, it yeah. out loud because we give it away, maybe. Yep. Yeah. But if we, if we did that, I, I bet. I, I really do think we'd get into some uh, pretty cool stuff. That's the side that the property was on, too, that he was on. Yep. 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 Yeah. That tells me everything <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Now, how to get over there. I mean, dude, I love that place so much. If if we weren't going to Wyoming this year, I would take, like, three days vacation, and I would hunt it for, like, five days from, in a row. Yeah. Man, that would be – can you imagine? That would be so awesome. The problem is it's, like, so much excitement. It's like, do you go in super deep, or do you stay closer to the access? Because there's deer everywhere. I know. Like big ones. It's like I don't know, man. I guess we'll find out this coming fall. I can't wait. I cannot wait to hunt that place again. Well, it's like, um, you know, the opportunity. One thing I really love about living in the southeast, if you are like a, you know, whitetail hunter or turkey hunter, there is so much opportunity out here. Um, even in states that, you know, if, if you're willing to travel a little bit, you know, even in states that might have limited opportunities, um, you know, at least for like on quantity of deer, one that comes to mind is like Kentucky, you know, one buck state. You can literally jump right down south to Tennessee and get you two bucks down there and a bunch of does, especially if you, you know, hunt, you know, kind of central of the state uh, or go out to Arkansas. I mean, there's so much opportunity in the southeast for not only to, you know, get a bunch of deer or like locate a bunch of deer, but really find some quality bucks uh, throughout the southeast, which is really exciting. And that's one thing, especially like interviewing like Jonathan, just kind of get back to the episode and him sending me some of the photos that we're about to post with this episode. And like trail cam photos of some hammers, and I'm like, boy, that makes me want to go crawl out in the freaking the 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 flat river bottoms of the Arkansas Delta, dude. I mean, where we're where we're talking about hunting, North Alabama, 
Yeah. I mean, that, I mean that's flat. That is true. Find Hardwoods? That, find that freaking hot feed tree in there, dude. Or hot that's food how I source. killed the doe. We weren't in a swamp. We were on like a mountain, but that's exactly what we did when I killed the doe. I was there for 10 minutes and killed her. Dude. Man, there's nothing like showing up to a big hunting camp with everybody, all your buddies there. You got deer with you. And you you kill a deer the first, like, ten minutes of the first sit, and then you roll back up into camp, you're like, I'm the provider. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's eating your deer the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that tastes good. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, we got to figure that out, how we're going to do that trip this year. Uh, Are we going to be able to go in October? I think so. Yeah. So, we got to do another big camp out, man. Yeah. Uh, We got to make sure the, like... Well, there's only one weekend we can go. When when <sighs> Alabama opens, we have opening weekend, and then the next weekend we're heading to Wyoming. Mm. We got one. We got one weekend. So unless something changes this year, that's uh, that's gonna be our one chance to go hunt that place. On one shindig. Yeah. So we got we got Saturday and Sunday. That's it. Mm. Make it count, man. Gotta make sure I'm off work. Yeah, you better. Oh my gosh! Oh, uh, my job, oh. my job's gonna hate me. My manager's gonna be like, "Jacob, you hunt too much." Like, listen, no, listen, y'all can vacate. Y'all go take. Hey, you, get, you gave up your whole turkey season. I oh, can't li- say nothing. Listen, listen, listen. I'll give up turkey season every year to be able to go hunt some big whitetails. That's all. I get. Whatever. <laughs> listen, tur- I'll, I'll go fishing a little bit, but no. Um, yeah, they're gonna hate me. You might listen, guys. I might need to hire some more sales. No more people to sell the department because Jake is about to be gone. <laughs> Jake is going to be gone. Jake is gonna be... <laughs> hey, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll oh, believe man. it when I see it. Hey, that's going to be our one opportunity, though, um, for that property. And then that'll that'll kick off everything. Then we're going to go to Wyoming. We're going to come back here. We're going to have our typical kind of early season hunts. And then we're going to roll into the rut, phase one. Yeah, phase one. Yep. Phase one of the rut. Yep. We're going to hunt right here, kill a couple bucks. Then uh, sometime around Christmas, New Year, I think that Nick is going to come down. Uh, Nick Adair from Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you don't listen to it, then shame on you. You must not like America. Yeah, for real. Or dogs or freedom. So uh, he's coming down um, with one of his buddies, hopefully. Uh, Probably his co-host, Austin. Uh, And we're going to try and hunt quail, possibly woodcock, just whatever we can get into. Uh, and, and maybe around that same time, do a rabbit hunt or two. Uh, and that'll be our breather, you know. Do a little bit of small game hunting. A little, little take it easy. And, and then, then phase two of the rut it, begins. And it's going to be freaking hard. <laughs> hey, baby, we live in Alabama. All you people in other states that don't have like 85 different ruts. <laughs> just missing out. <laughs> We're like, oh, didn't kill it here in the first rut. Let me just drive 30 minutes in another direction. <laughs> They're yeah. going to be wide open and. 10 days or something exactly yeah dude isn't that the truth that's another thing i love about living down here i'm like man this is the opportunity you screw up in the first part of the rut all right cool we're mm-hmm. going south now yep so yeah. hunting hunting deer in peak rut first uh first week of december um first two weeks of december and then gonna be hunting deer in peak rut first two weeks of january and then if we're not tagged out or burned out Hunting deer and peak rut. Are you kidding me? I ain't burned out. Man, no way. <laughs> no way. We'll be, and then we can hunt. I mean, we can hunt deer in the peak rut. I mean, we're there peak rutting until February 10th. Southbound and down, baby. Southbound and down. <laughs> so. Oh, man. And then we need to look at depending on how much vacation time we got, if any. And I know Tiffany probably kill you because you, you burning all yours this year. Yeah. Uh, and you go to, uh, is it Anglin? Eglin Air Force Base? Yeah, Eglin Air Force Base. I had another guy. I don't know who it was. One of, one of our buddies reached out to me. He's like, man, we ought to do that hunt this year. And I'm like, 
I think, I mean, I got to look at the tag and see what it looks like. But, dude, hunting up until freaking, I mean, pretty much the NWTF convention in February. Sounds Leave there and go up to Nashville. Drive eight hours, ten hours north. Oh, that like, would that would be a heck of a weekend. Dude, like, oh, y'all talking turkey hunting. But, man, we got a buck in the back. <laughs> yeah, for real, though. Oh, man. Dude, actually, so this year, we'll, we'll hunt early season whitetails that first weekend. Second weekend that we will be hunting, we'll be hunting rutting deer in Wyoming with yeah. rifles. And hopefully when it's going to be snowing. And then we're going to come back, and then by Thanksgiving, so basically two, three weeks later, we're going to be a pre-rut slash like, it's rattle time, baby. Yeah. And then early December, again, just rut. Dude, ba- there's going to be like, if we if we do it how we kind of, we did it last year, but a little more structured, we will basically only not be hunting rutting deer uh, like three weekends of the whole deer season. Three to four weekends of the whole season. It's pretty well timed out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as you're not hunting specific bucks. You're like, okay. That I probably know, won't happen, but. Like, I know there's a bunch of does in this area. Mm-hmm. Pulling that, you know, that D- Don Cicero tactics. Yeah. Right, where are them does at? <laughs> That's where I'm spending my time. Show me where the ladies are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and throw some Adrian Farley calling in there. Mm-hmm. Get that grunt call rattle and rattle bag out or. You know, some shed antlers. No, I just can't wait to get uh, get one of these, like, pine tickets and start calling. Eight feet off the ground, boy. You better get, you better, <laughs> you better get ready. I'm, listen. Oh, man. I can't tell on the air, but when we get up there, I got to tell you something. I was, I was thinking about some of that stuff. I'm like, <laughs> it, it is going to be crazy on one of those gun hunts, man. When that pressure gets up, dive in there all day, sit. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's pistol. Pistol range. Man, I was thinking about it yesterday. I thawed that deer head out, and I was skinning it on the back porch, and uh, it was so hot. It was just miserable. It's just typical Alabama July. It was just like... Muggy. You wanted to just like shrivel up like a raisin and just die. Even though you're... No, but you're so humid. It's so humid, you just stay nice and plump. Yeah. We were up in the lake, dude. It was... Dude, Friday night, it literally felt like you were in a sauna. It was 82 degrees by 1030 at night. Oh, my God. Because I, I went to buy more minnows because we ran out of minnows. Oh, I hate. Oh, man. I love the South, but there's times there's times where I'm just like, I hate it here. <laughs> In the summer, I'm just like, oh. I wanna, that, that's when I'm like, you know, moving to like Montana or Wyoming would be pretty cool. And then I went to Wyoming on my honeymoon in December. And I walked outside one day, and I took a breath in, and the snot in my nose froze. And I was like, maybe I couldn't live here year-round. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alabama boy, I'm not used to this. Yeah. We're like, it gets like 37 degrees. We're like, it's freezing out here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Man. I was I was skinning it, and it was so hot, and I was just thinking about deer season, man. And I was like, one day, not too long, I'm going to be like sitting in the tree, there's going to be leaves falling. It's going to be like that first, like, like you know, in October, you'll be sitting there and you get that breeze that hits you, that first, like, northern of the year. And it's just like a cold breeze on, like, kind of a warm day. And you're like, oh, it's coming. No, see, the one thing I like about the summers down here is now getting to the point of the summer where the rain is actually warm now. It's not cold. <laughs> so, like, it's not terrible. Yeah. It's like, it sucks. Like, 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 in May, like, April and May and even, like, early June, like, the rain is still, like, freaking cold. Freezing. So, you get out there, like, oh, this is pitiful now it's like oh man this is like nice I'm like okay <laughs> yeah, i can, take a shower outside yeah, yeah, it's like, I, I can get i can get used to this <laughs> it's like nice and comfy i'm like okay we're getting we get down now i thought about this i was uh i was looking at hunting clothes and stuff the other day just like looking for like gear that i don't need but that i want to buy 
And I was looking at rain gear, like some nice rain gear. And I realized that every year for the past three years, I was like, I need to get good rain gear. And then I'm like, no, it doesn't really rain that much during season. And then last year, it's like it rained every time I hunted last year. So I think I might get some nice rain gear. I, I agree. Actually, that's the, the one piece of gear that, that and then some kind of like a, a lightweight wind stopper, like, mm-hmm. material, like something like a lightweight like hoodie or something that I can put on um, that really cuts the wind is one other piece I really want. But yeah, like some nice rain gear that's like durable rain. I've had rain gear in the past that was, that was crap. Like, listen. I, I ain't going ha- to gonna hate, but I'm going to hate once again. Uh, I don't even know why I said I ain't going to hate. Frog togs don't cut it for a southern public land hunter when you cut through briars. No, sir. Listen, I wore it the first day of gun season. Listen, I had a, I was hunting waders. It was raining that hard. Remember? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. So, hunting waders with, with frog tog upper jacket. And listen, with my backpack on, within about 45 minutes, boy, it was seeping through the seams on my shoulders. And my freaking oh, yeah. waders filled up a little bit of water. <laughs> just, like, squishing through the dude, woods. It was, that was terrible. <laughs> that, dude, like, I've never been that wet on a deer hunt. Or, I haven't, yeah, ex- yeah, pretty much. I mean, that it happens every year, though, so I'm like, why don't I just buy nice rain gear and just be done with it my thing is is like i, I would like i think sitka makes that jacket uh it's that rain jacket that comes down to like you're like halfway down your thigh mm-hmm. it's a longer jacket because like my thing is you know especially if i'm wearing rubber boots um and not laces at the time if i know it's gonna rain you know if my pants legs gets a little wet that's okay i just i hate my upper body getting wet like that's like upper body and like freaking like uh like waistline wet Mm-hmm. Uh, but like a jacket like that, that, that kind of like, it's almost like a parka. It just like comes down to like your like mid thigh would be, I think sufficient. Like, Cause my thing is I'm, I'm so afraid, especially like if it's rain. Cause I love to steal hunt off the ground in the rain. I do not want to have rain pants on for two things. I, I haven't seen many rain pants that are quiet to walk in. And also I'd be terrified to freaking have to come by some green briar or something with rain pants on. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, it just makes me cringe. I'm like, yeah. I guess I ain't going through there. And the green briar is everywhere, so it's, like, impossible. I know. That's kind of what I'm afraid of, too, because I, I was looking at a couple different brands. I, I really like the looks of the First Light ones, and I'm like, and the First Light and Sitka and all of them, their rain gear is just, like, expensive. Oh, yeah. So really expensive. Like some of the most expensive, I mean, products they make is rain gear. Yeah. For both of them. And so I'm like, uh, I'm like I want to try it and see if it works, but, like, that's a lot of money for me right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you're looking like $350 for a jacket and, like, roughly the same amount for, like, bibs. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, or pants. Mm-hmm. And, again, I think the jacket would be worth it. It's just, like, I, unless I'm in the stand or, like, in the saddle, the pants, I'm just, like, if I'm on the ground, I don't want to be wearing the pants because I don't want to worry about ripping a hole in them because if I ripped a hole in some expensive rain gear I would be upset check out the <laughs> warranty on them first light they've, I've ripped some of their stuff before like I haven't ripped any of my new stuff but my older stuff that I got with them like a couple years ago yeah. I shredded I instantly destroyed it Freaking and they, they took it back they were good about it but all this new stuff I've got I've beat the absolute crap out of those uh, guide pants and those have turned out really awesome yeah those are super comfortable I want to get some of those guide guide shorts, guide light shorts. Oh, I do too. Summertime, I'm like, man. Me too. Those, those look awesome. Those guide, I want the guide light pants too. I got the, so I got the guide pants and I've got the uh, saw bucks of saw bucks, man. That's, oh, I'm telling gosh. you, they need to have the saw bucks, but they need to have like some kind of like low profile, like thigh pocket. Yeah. 
Um, oh, I, dude, the, I love those. I love those pants. That's the you briar, go busting through some briars. Your briar pants. You get too confident in them. Where I wore them so much, especially late deer season, I wore them so much. I was just busting through. I mean, anything, and you just don't feel it. Like they're the, you know, and you can get briar pants that are good too. I mean, just like regular old briar pants. But pretty much every pair of briar pants you find is pretty expensive. Um, but none of them are real, real comfortable. And these are like the same material as the guide pants, like the pant part. But then they have like that heavy duty briar proof material on the fronts, so they're like extremely comfortable. And you go busting around in them, and you're good to go. And then turkey season came. I'm like, well, I don't want to wear them because they're just brown. I want to wear my guide pants that are like the actual camo. And I put those on, and I go try to like bust through some stuff. And I got a rude awakening real quick. I was like, oh, these are not as as thick as the other pants I was wearing. Yeah, same thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, the last time I put the cameras out, I got torn up from the floor up, dude. With briars. I mean, dude, I had a, I got a scratch from my left knee, like on the inside of my knee, all the way halfway up my mid thigh. Mm. And I was like, oh, I, I mean, you know, you feel it, but you don't really feel it when you're going through it all, because mm. it is to me, you just go numb to it. <laughs> and then as the fact you look at yourself, you're like you're bleeding on all your, fore- like both forearms are bleeding. <laughs> like you know, you get home, you shower, and you get like cuts on your legs. I'm like, oh man, I need some of those pants. Why not? Because I talked about this on the podcast. Like, listen, I want some kind of like arm guard or something for briars like for yeah. joke. why not take this sounds ridiculous i know people out there like, why would you do that take some of those uh saw bucks and get someone to cut them and make like freaking arm sleeves out of the pan i bet crawl could do that dude that would be freaking i would 100 percent pay for someone to do that dude like holler at carl he'd do it Crawl like, Casus from tethered yeah he would do it he's like, like a mad scientist and then have it where like it comes down like you're like a past your wrist like just blow blow your knuckles right here mm-hmm. kind of protect the back of your hand I would wear that every freaking time. Like, have the inside of it, like, vented. But, oh, my God. Or you could just get a machete. That's a little more invasive, bud. That's true. That's true. But, you know, yeah. Or get some sawbuck gloves. Yeah, uh, they make some gloves that I actually thought about getting, like, those more heavy-duty ones. Uh, they're, they're supposed to be really warm, but also really tough. I feel like that would be a good good all-around glove that for me. That sounds terrible. What? A warm glove? So you're going to be... Well, no, this isn't for summer. Okay. This is not for summer. Right. No. They they make like that one. It's got like the kind of reinforced knuckles and everything on it. So it's the, they're mechanic gloves. Like, coming mechanic gloves. Kind of, I guess. That's where some of those. Uh, those look pretty good, especially for uh, like small game hunting, like rabbit or quail or anything like that. It's, it's got that tactical feel that Andrew loves. No, I mean, Any, but it helps. Anything, like anything that says tactical, Andrew's all about it. He's like, I got to have it. Tactical. Man. Tactical. <laughs> if it's black and says tactical on it, he's got to have yeah. it. <laughs> hey, that reminds me. Somebody out there, we've talked about Kafaru. We've talked about Kafaru oh, so much. Yeah. Okay. They don't sponsor us. We just like them. And they've, like, I've had, I sold one of my kidneys zero, to buy their gear. Yeah, zero discounts on Kafaru. Zero gear. discount. Like, no nothing. Like, I've never even talked to old Schneider. I think Jacob has. Yeah. But um, um, but they're great. They're the best packs ever, which is why we talk about them all the time. Uh, and I really want their striker packs. So somebody buy my old pack, please. <laughs> Just well, hold on, sell you, them you, woodsman. You, you can't say pack because people think it's the frame too. He's got a bag for I'm sale. Not selling the frame. Yeah, so selling it's not a pack. You're selling the bag. The bag. Okay, woodsman bag. You can stuff. What could you stuff in there? Thirty three hundred cubic inches, I believe. Yeah, if you're Keep, like me, no, that, that number means no, no, nothing no, no, no. to you. I have no, no idea what that I just means. said inches, it's cubic centimeters. Okay, it still means nothing to me. Like, I ha- I can't visualize that measure. So you could uh, you could stuff like, uh, you could stuff, 
a bag of two bags of mulch in it, maybe, or like what? something like that. I don't know. I just, no, you can't. Yes, you could. You totally could. Not to. You know, I, I'm exaggerating. And, okay, listen, it's not that big of a bag. It's a good. It's a. It is on the white tail side. It's to me. I like it. And it's got a center zipper on it. It's it's like good bag. Yeah. It's just you could stick a bag of corn in it. It would fit pretty snug. Not that I use corn or anything, but like. But know. give it volume size. Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. Like a bag of corn would fit nicely within the inside of the pack. Probably. Then you got your meat shelf. You got the zipper in the middle. Mm-hmm. So um, you get double two way zipper. Yeah. So you got two way zipper. The whole pretty much the whole length of the bag on the front of it. Then you get the um, the um, what do they call it? The collar collar lid on the top mm-hmm. that you can either roll down or you can expand it uh for more Give volume more space yeah dude it's pretty slick yeah it's a good it's a good pack um that's what i've been using yeah that's what that's all that jacob's used um it's definitely a good pack especially maybe you're like a like a mountain guy and you do like maybe a little bit of hunting in north georgia or in the carolinas or something or virginia or, or something where, where you got some bigger mountains and you like to do some backcountry stuff like Devin duncan mm-hmm uh it would definitely work for that or if you're if you like to go out west it's definitely a good western pack uh that's one reason i'm actually getting rid of it is because we're like this year we're doing a western hunt but it's not like a hardcore backpack western hunt like we're not carrying camp we're truck camping and so right now i just feel like the striker would meet my needs better so i'm gonna offload the woodsman and then when we do end up going and doing a uh a trip out west that calls for a, a like a a more demanding bag or what, or a bigger bag. Um, I'm just going to get something that matches that hunt at that time. But anyways, somebody buy it, please. Just reach out to me. Holla. I'll, I'll sell it Andrew, sell it for $100. No, I'm not selling it for $100. <laughs> I listed it for 180 but if a Southern Outdoorsman listener buys it, I'll sell it to you for 160 Well, you just completely cut yourself short because, of course, they're going to be a listener to listen to the show. <laughs> oh man oh, sales 101 <laughs> don't undersell yourself okay i know i'm really bad at it <laughs> i'm really really bad at it please if someone buy it <laughs> also shout out uh if anyone out there wants to get a leg up on the competition whether it's on your little lease or your club or even your local piece of public land make sure you hit up uh, geo hunt on instagram or facebook for some sick custom maps made by yours truly andrew maxwell yeah yeah, thanks to everybody who's already uh, reached out and got a map. I uh, really appreciate it. And also, uh, we got kind of like flooded with messages. So right now, I'm currently training my wife how to uh, how all this works so she can answer messages because <laughs> I don't have time to anymore. So uh, hopefully, we'll be able to work through them a lot faster. But I think I got four going out this week. Yeah. So and so. if you if you want the app to be up and running, you need to keep harassing Andrew about doing the app. So he 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 needs about hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So if y'all know anybody out there that you know you know has got some extra cash flow that they want to invest in, uh, Andrew is your boy. There you go. So anyway, <laughs> but yeah, anyways, awesome sick maps. Reach out to Andrew Geo Hunt on Instagram or Facebook, and you'll see some really cool stuff. And he needs to drop some of the photos of some of this flatland lidar he's been doing because it is yeah. it is okay. Listen, people say game changing all the time, but it really is. Like on like a flatland hunter, like dude, arrow map throw arrow maps out the, the out the out the trash in the trash, yeah. gone. I haven't posted one yet because <laughs> all the ones I've made have been public land, and I don't want to post like a like I don't want to post one of these of public land because it's so detailed and you know I don't know it just doesn't seem like a good idea. I mean, you can literally see like the exact spot you need to put your stand. 
Dude, you can see the ridges. So everyone in, in swamps, you know, they'll talk about like a ridge. Or eastern Arkansas. Or exactly, exactly where Jonathan's talking about hunting. Exactly the same kind of stuff. You can see like the you can see the two foot elevation change. Which they call ridges out there. Like a yeah. one to two foot elevation change. That's a ridge. And you can see it so detailed on this map yeah. that you don't see it on a topo map. It is ridiculous. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really it's really cool. Like, it really it's cool. It's cool seeing like these river bottom environments, how um, how they're like formed. A lot of times, those ridges used to be like the bank of the river, and you can see where the rivers migrated. And you'll have like a row of those ridges spaced out, you know, at kind of random intervals. Like there's one here, and then you go 100 yards, there's another one, and then 200 yards, there's another one, and then there's another one, and then you hit the river. Mm-hmm. There's like a big bend in the river right there. It's really cool. It's it's like. It's really like a beautiful looking picture too. Yeah, it'd make a great like canvas. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I've even I thought about printing one out and putting it in my office, but I don't have enough money to do that. So or I do, but I don't. I'd rather spend it on hunting stuff. Yeah, rather so, have a plain undecorated. That's office. why we need people just to buy your map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll I'll try and post one this week. I got a bunch of stuff in the queue that I could post. So I'll post one like Tuesday or something. Yep, awesome. All right, cool. All right, hold on. You gotta get to our our weekly read of our reviews. Oh, sweet. Okay. Um, hold on. Wait, wait, what are we do? So, what are you doing? I'm reading uh, reviews that people have left us because on iTunes. On iTunes, we uh we really appreciate it. Um, let's see. TNW2020 said, "Great stuff. Five stars. Love this show. Always putting out top tier information and having high class guests." You guys have changed my hunting last year, and although I didn't kill any bucks, I was in more bucks than I ever have been. As this season quickly approaches, I am pumped to use more tactics that I have learned from here in hopes of killing a good one. I love the show, but I want to give you all my honest feedback as well. Ginger Bowhunter, I love your passion and how serious you are about this stuff, but sometimes I feel like you try to prove you are better than the other co-hosts. Not Andrew, but other guys. All of you have had on like Michael and others. And man, I hear anyways in my sleep after listening sometimes. <laughs> Keep it up, though, guys. Awesome stuff. I don't feel like you try to act better than people. I don't no. know. Maybe it's just your personality. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm, I'm loud and I talk a lot. But no, I'm very much trying to learn more. But I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate the feedback. Yeah, we appreciate the honest feedback. And uh, yeah, we, we notice our filler words. It's funny how, like, uh, having to listen to yourself talk for an hour and a half, like editing these things, you notice stuff that you say all the time and it gets really annoying. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, we're we're trying to not do it. Like anymore. Andrew does something that sounds like he's smacking on peanut uh, butter. Dang it. No he say just it. did no it. Say it. No <laughs> it. Now everyone will hear it and they'll never unhear it. <laughs> they'll so hate me. stop it. Keep your tongue from the top of your roof <laughs> of your mouth. Oh, man, it's such a bad habit. <laughs> All right, here's another failure. Uh, Zach Hunter ninety seven. Love the show, five stars, great show, the great content recommended for all Southern hunters from South Florida. Oh, cool. Hey, he, that's who needs a map, boy. Yeah, you're in South, listen, you in <laughs> South Florida, you need one of these maps. All you turkey hunters, I'm going to make a, the greatest map that's ever been created of Big Cypress, and I'm going to start selling it. Yeah. So y'all hit me up. I mean, for sure. Dude, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, Andrew just broke his no. in-law's chair. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to hide it. <laughs> it's an, it's an audio. Trying. It's an audio show. They can't no, see how bad you broke it. The screws loose. I can put it back in there. It's fine. Anyways, all right. We need to wrap this up. <laughs> all right, everybody. Uh, as always, tell us uh, what you want to hear about. Uh, you guys were asking about swamp bucks and traditional archery. We tried to hit both of those in here. So uh, all those suggestions are welcome.
We definitely appreciate them. Anything else? No, to share it with a buddy. We appreciate the feedback. Again, we love it when we have new guys message us saying that a buddy of theirs shared the show with them and they're now down the rabbit hole. So uh, please, if you got a coworker at work or got a buddy or somebody that uh, you think would enjoy the show, share an episode and uh, see if it helps them uh, during the season because we are excited to start getting some listener success stories uh, come this fall. But we appreciate the support, guys, and y'all have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you back on Monday. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.